And welcome to 42 to Doomsday. My name is Mark. And my name is Rob. And now for something completely different. In this episode, we're going to do something completely non-canon. And the main topic of tonight's episode isn't completely Doctor Who related. We've actually been planning this podcast for quite a while, but in the light of the sad news of Gareth Thomas's passing, and also Prince, for the next wee while we're going to be talking about Blake 7 so you don't have to. And to help us do this, we've invited some of our fandom friends to uh, help us through this. We have Tom, Dick, and Harry, aka Dave. This is Tom. I'm we Tom. would have brought Harry. Yes. We, we don't know anyone called Harry. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we call Dave Harry. Yeah, we call Dave Harry. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, so welcome back guys, how are we? Yeah, good thing. That's good. All That's the better good. for being here. Excellent. So, uh, what's been happening in the world of Doctor Who? Rob? Well, I don't since the last Doctor podcast. podcast so I have no idea. Maybe we should. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should. Uh, we should do some research before we come on here. <laughs> um, <laughs> a new companion, Mark. Yes. Another new template token companion, I think. Yes. Although, if she had appeared in the episode Heaven Sent, we could have called it Diamond and Pearl. I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> the Prince song, Diamonds and Pearls. Yes. You got it, didn't you? Yes, I did. All right, so yeah. before we talk about Black 7, we'll talk about the new companion, because ostensibly this is a Doctor Who podcast. Why? Because well, we can. Is she debuting in the Christmas special? Or is no. It until, uh, is John Barrowman, apparently. She's debuting in John Barrowman. Barrowman might be in the Christmas special, but I thought that they planned to introduce it during the Christmas special. But the other the other rumor is that he might have been filming Class, not the Christmas special. Because all he said he was he was filming at Cardiff. He didn't say which series. That's true. So John Barrowman could be in Class just to make it canon. I, I regard Class or to give it some. <laughs> class, that is. That's, that's right. When, when you're holding out for John Barrowman to give your show class, yes. I, I personally regard class as being Grange Hill with nipple clamps. I think they're angling for sort of that, that feel, don't you think? That's John Barrowman all over, isn't it? He's well, got nipple clamps all over. Don't, don't, call don't take his hobbies to work. I'll, I'll be fair, what I've seen of it so far does sound like they're going a bit down the uh, Roswell line. I quite like Roswell as a show, so I'll, I'll give it a chance. Oh, no, you've got to give it a chance. I mean, definitely. Um, yeah, we'll give it a chance. We'll give it a chance. It could well be Grange Hill with... <laughs> Nipple clamps. <laughs> yeah, your words, not mine. But but look, if, if it is something like, you know, Roswell, or I think Roswell Hyatt went out as, as in the UK, mm-hmm. I'll watch that, but we'll see. If it's like, you know, um, the Sarah Jane Adventures, well, good luck to them, and that's well, good show for the kids, but I'm over 12 now. <laughs> So I probably won't watch it. But they would be pitching class a little bit older than 12, you would think, given the age range it's of the... Teen, isn't it? The, the sort of mid-teens. Yeah. So more Degrassi-type market, or... Um, uh, Degrassi Junior High, maybe. <laughs> I've been to that suburb. In... Where was it? In Toronto. Oh. oh, was it? I was driving through to my hotel, and going, this looks really familiar, and I Googled it when I got to the hotel, and it was the suburb where they filmed Degrassi. Oh. So I actually recognised it. There you go. Oh, we're talking about the companion. So, oh, yeah. so, so new companion. Oh. Pearl Mackie is Bill. But in all seriousness, are we supposed to be excited? Because we've had an announcement and a two-minute skit, and that just has to tide us over until, well, either Christmas or next May. Something. I, I don't understand the marketing thing that the BBC tried to pull there. 
What, what was that all about? No, I'm, I'm normally the first to defend the marketing strategies in many ways, but this one made no sense to me. I mean, you, you do it at halftime in a soccer match uh, on the telly, and um, and then you release a two-minute... I mean, the two-minute thing... The problem with that is that you, you face the twin dilemma problem where Colin Baker debuts to rubbish, and then we have to put up with that for nine months. Pearl... Poor Pearl, effectively, Poor Pearl. Has, has, you know, been given this typical Muffet script. Uh, you know, she's spunky, she's sparky, she's lippy, uh, she's I got a... the word's feisty. Feisty? Okay. So, fair enough, she's feisty. Women it's... are feisty, men have gravitas. <laughs> okay, we bow towards their feistiness. And, <laughs> but, I mean, the impression that I got, uh, or reading about it, was that a lot of people were sort of going, well, this, again, this is Moffat, and unable to escape... The, the trap that he's made for himself in terms of how he writes for the show Smug. and the, and the, the Smug companions passing. that he creates. Yes. And this this was the problem. I, I Before I turned on the clip, and I must admit, until I saw it on my Twitter feed, I'd completely forgotten the announcement was coming, but that's okay. But before I turned on the, on the clip, I, I really said to myself hard, you know, don't judge her just on this, keep an open mind. As that two minutes played out, I was struggling because the script was just so bad. It felt like you were in a confession dial and it lasted four billion years. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It, look, it was Moffat doing the same shtick that he was doing with um, Curse of Fatal Death. And that was, what, 20 years ago. Mm. And it just felt like, we've, you know, we've done this. We've, we've done jokes about the Daleks not looking as good as they could look. It's just been done. Um, and so, look, I'm not going to judge her based on that as much as it's tempted to do so. But my one concern is, I tried to imagine um, both of the other Moffat companions, and arguably some of the Russell Davis companions, doing the same lines, and it was just so easy. You know, Amy and Clara, you put them, that character into that skit, they just go in seamlessly. It's, it's the same character. So, so or at least so it seems based on two minutes, which we're not judging it by. No, and that's the, that's the difficulty. <laughs> it is only two minutes, but this is effectively her calling card to the mm. television-watching community. And if this is what Moffat is bringing to the table in terms of her and character... That's the thing. This has got to last you seven, at least, what, seven months. Mm. Um, that's it. That's, that's, that's what you're giving people for seven months. Now, it's not a lot, is it? It's, uh, it's really threadbare. No. And it handicaps her. And they could have teased it out a bit more. Like, if, if they'd sort of said, you know, this is the actress, we go, well, we don't know much about her, but you're looking... Well, she's done a lot of stuff in theatre. She's done a few other things. You'd still have to go, well, okay, this is... Interesting. We haven't seen someone with a real theatre background in Who for quite a while, and that could be quite, you know, quite a good thing. They could have teased it out with some real positives, but instead they gave us two minutes of well, ultra smoke. It, it could have been worse. They could have introduced her via Strax. So look, we were probably <laughs> we were spared. We were, or, or we're indeed the Sex Fiend trio. Tom, mm. what did you think of the uh, the the debut um, with the with her introduction? I, I'm prepared to give her the benefit of the doubt on, as Dave said to see something there but based on the what she was given I, I didn't like the introduction I don't like the flipness that you've just had this bloke come along saying these are the deadliest things in the universe they're going to kill you and then you, you're going to get your, your quips really from her yeah a bit rubbish oh why don't they just say kill well, you want to make them more efficient killers it, yeah. And and that sort of it, it, that is I think the current downfall of Stephen Moffat at the moment. He, he, everything is flippant and everything is a joke out of it. it. It's interesting. Ricky Gervais once made one of his rare good points when he said there are two ways to write 
sitcoms or drama, you can write it in the style of The Office, which is very, you know, life is dull, life is boring, people take time to think of comebacks. Or you can write in the style of The Drew Carey Show, where, you know, everybody's got that quip and that one line and it's all, it's all jokes. They're both perfectly valid ways to write television. But I worry when I see Doctor Who being more of The Drew Carey Show than it is of The Office, where, as you say, Tom, you know, the companion's always got this quip and this quick one-liner and this quick rebuttal, and it just doesn't feel right. Well, personal opinion, the direction that we've gone in the last few years is that every character that Moffat hasn't killed, which is all of them, <laughs> um, are better than the Doctor. And, that's, and it's his show. You know, the companion's better. Clara is better than the Doctor. She can live forever now. And travelling around with the other girl that can live forever in a stolen TARDIS sounds awfully familiar. I think there was something about 50 years ago that started something like that. Yeah, well, the good uh, thing, though, is that if her companion does live forever, at some point she will learn to act. Sorry, Tom. I was just going to say, it, we, we, may, we may be being unfair to Pearl Mackey, but we can't be too unfair against Stephen Moffat because when you really think about it, what we got in the two minutes was pure distilled Stephen Moffat. And this is what's wrong, I think, with Moffat's approach now, is that it is his only approach. Yeah, we're being very critical of the way that she's been introduced. Yes. Not of her. That's I true. We, we, we can't judge her. No. Yes. She, she delivered those lines as written, as directed. We're critical of the line she had, not what she did. And it will be interesting to see whether in Moffat's last year he's capable of changing. I mean... If you've driven the truck into the ditch, do you keep on revving and working the gears and try and forge forward, or do you go in reverse? I'm sorry, it's like the Simpsons episode. Someone's handed Moffat a shovel at the bottom of a hole and they're saying, dig upwards, stupid. (laughs) (laughs) If we were having this conversation at the end of Series 6, which, 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 you know, I stopped watching the show during that, you could say that he he, he has been better under Capaldi, though. The Capaldi era hasn't been terrible. No, no. It's had some quite good stuff. Yes. So, but is that Moffat or is that Capaldi elevating the material? Well, Moffat hasn't done season six again, so he's been he has changed somewhat. Mm. Um, it's still not, you know, my personal taste, but I've, I've been able to watch and enjoy the Capaldi era. I couldn't watch and enjoy at all season six and struggled with season seven, but I've enjoyed eight and nine mostly. So. My concern is more, is he dry? I know? think he is. I think the well's dry. Is the well dry? well is dry. And that's what... Because this skit felt like a guy who's just gone back to the well. And that's all there is. He's spinning his wheels, basically. Yeah. Well, do you feel that that then colours your opinion on everything else that he's written after the fact? Like, if you go and see Sherlock, The Abominable Bride... Oh, the Abominable Bride was rubbish. So, I mean, I can go back and watch Press Game and, and see a young writer mm. taking the material. Sometimes I think the Moffat is just a one-note writer and he's just been doing the same thing for the last 25 years. No, but you're, you're right. I mean, I, I, as we said before on this, this podcast, I think many of us enjoy Press Game. I can still watch um, The Empty Child and think it's an absolutely brilliant two-parter. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really well done. And, um, I just Blink, how... Blink. Look, Blink is best... On its first viewing, I think it's one of those unfortunate episodes that always would never be as good the second time. It relies on that, but it's still a very good episode. Mm. So I'm happy to call it. And you know, um, the crystal wall punching Heaven episode was great. Heaven Heaven was, was great. great. Listen yeah. was great. Absolutely. He's done some. He's done some good stuff. Yeah. Since 
Matt Smith like if Listen was so good what was knocking on the door outside the dome in the future what was the thing under the, the sheet the echoes it's, of the doctor, doctor punching that wall does, so doesn't, he, doesn't he say it's to do with the atmosphere or something it, it, something, something raised the sheet up and they looked in the room yeah and it was the, the other kid wasn't though. It wasn't anything there. All right. Well, Tom didn't enjoy listening as much. No, I, I didn't enjoy listening to everyone. Richard, I, I don't think we've got your opinion on the whole. Uh, Listen. No. Which one was that? Two minutes. Have <laughs> 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 you watched it? Can we assume that you watched Pearl Mackey's debut? Um, I I did. Uh, it is Pearl Mackey, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah I did. <laughs> um, I certainly watched it. I can't say I really took anything away from it. Because as, as we spent the last several minutes discussing, it was just another 20-something feisty companion from contemporary London who's got some one-liners again when she's told that the Daleks are the most ruthless killing machines in the universe. The thing is not to go, oh my God, it's just to crack out some joke. Uh, you know, and, and this is the interesting thing. Weeps. You, you, you look at what JMT did for all of his faults, and he had faults as producer... Don't look at me like that. At least when JNT tried to do his companions, he went for different. You know, he went for someone from Alzheimer's. He went for an Australian. He went for an American. Uh, Turlow was an exiled alien, and it really wasn't until they got back to um, Melanie that they went back. Mel, Mel was the first uh, um, London-based companion since Sarah. It yeah, is. Uh, yes. it would be. Yes. So there's a whole run there from Leela through to um, Mel of non-contemporary London-based companions. So, I think it's a shame that we're not getting that, because every single companion we've had has been same age, same gender, same time, same place. Yeah. That's a shame. For a series that can do anything and go anywhere mm. at any time... <laughs> well, the yeah, goodies. Yeah, the goodies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yum, yum. Yeah. All right, so, uh, do we have any... Mark, did you have any thoughts? That two-minute uh, skit encapsulated for me, what is wrong with Doctor Who at the moment. I heard on some other podcasts talking about their fandom wobbles, you know, when they wobbled and sort of fell out of the se- love, love of the series at the moment. Or just kill Hitler? That's me. I'm like Jabba the Hutt on a unicycle, wobbling everywhere. <laughs> More bounce than a Perth wicket? Don't say that to Disney, they might actually Yeah, exactly. When I'm watching things like The Flash and getting a lot more enjoyment out of that, and I actively go on to, you know, uh, the internet and find out what's going on next episode, as opposed to what I don't do it with Doctor Who, then there's something uh, rotten in the state of Denmark. Mm. We all know how that turned out. Everyone dead on stage. So. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. The casting directors, for the most part, apart from Maisie Williams, they've pretty much got a lot of casting right in the new series. So, but isn't it? Uh, haven't we got the, I mean, this is one of the things that I find at fault with the show is that a lot of the people who are involved in the show have been involved for a very long time so I think the main casting director is Andy Pryor yeah. who's been on board since day one yeah. and we've got um, Murray Gold they've who, got to get rid of him Murray Gold who apparently has just you know, concreted himself into a recording suite somewhere and can't be moved we've said, said this before um, Moffat should have gone a couple of years ago he should have gone with Matt Smith frankly mm. and yeah. I think it was the height of indulgency self-indulgency for him to stay on I mean whether the BBC pleaded and threw cash at him to stay is something that we'll never know. I have been persuaded to stay. But, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, um, the Chibnall era can't come soon enough, I think. Correct. As long as he doesn't write the sequel of Cyberwoman. I didn't mind Cyberwoman. Get out. Hey, it might be your podcast, but get out. <laughs> Tom, Tom, it's, it's my house. Get out. 
<laughs> All right, have we uh, have we flogged uh, Stephen Moffat and well, the show through the streets long enough? We've, we've now spoken for about six times longer than the skit went for. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So shall we move on to um, the main topic, Mark? Absolutely. As we said at the top of the episode, we're talking about Blake's Seven to uh, today, and uh, we've assembled some of the finest Blake Seven fan minds in uh, in the business. Find somebody else, at least in, maybe in this <laughs> country. Maybe in this country. <laughs> in this, well, in this country, definitely. Of course, so as we said at the, at the top, there was Dave, Richard, and Tom. We might as well start by having a brief chat about our earliest memories of the show. So, since we are hosted by Dave, Dave. I have very, very vague memories of my, my dad who used to work shift work taping the occasional episode and watching it and me sort of sitting on his lap in the same way I discovered Doctor Who. So I do have very dim memories of it. I then saw a couple of episodes at a Doctor Who convention, one that you wrote in fact, Mark, back in 1990. But like a lot of fans, it was the compilation tapes that were released about 91, 92. Oh, Maybe I think it was that. mid-80s, weren't they? No, mid-80s. Yeah. Well, certainly we, they, they came to the video shop near us around about 1990. And I watched them with my dad, and I was just hooked from there. And like a lot of stuff that we you know, got hip hooked on at that time, after watching the four compilation tapes, I then went out and found the novelizations that were on my dad's shelf, and are now on my shelf here, and um, went from there. And over the, it probably took a number of years before I saw the whole series, though, because we were able to get some episodes copied from, you know, just swapped with other fans. And but it really wasn't until the VHS releases came out with the full episodes that I saw. Yeah. The full run. And, and what was it that captured your imagination at that time? Uh, certainly the stuff that got me straight away was just the vast visualness of it. The Liberator, to this day, is just a striking ship. The bridge of the Liberator is a wonderful set. Um, the characters are larger than life. And then you've got... As you get older, you learn... Or you appreciate more about the world. And I think we'll talk more about that later. But it, it's one thing... As, as a young kid, you just go, wow, this looks great. And as you get older, you see the layers, you see the subtext, and it just gets better and better. And I've always said, this is above Doctor Who for me, Black 7. It has the advantage it only went for four years, so it doesn't get to quite have the um, highs and lows of Who had, but I'll put Black 7 above Doctor Who very comfortably. I saw it when it first screened here. 1978. So it, it screened... Here, and they showed... It was screened on the ABC. It was, and it was on a Friday night, I think. It was, uh, just before the two Ronnies. I think it was a replacement for the two Ronnies when they got to the end of their season, because it was a 7.30 show. It was. So, again, my recollections are two Ronnies were about the same 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 time. time. It was a Friday night view. Anyway, 7.30 on a Friday night. For me, it it sort of came around the time... It was in that period sort of immediately post-Star Wars where I'd I'd seen, going back to Doctor Who, I mean, I'd seen Doctor Who earlier, but uh, 78 was when Doctor Who moved. Early 78 was when Doctor Who moved to the weeknights. It was suddenly on all the time, so that's really when I suddenly latched onto it. That was season 13. And I guess... For me, Black 7 was another sci-fi show, so I latched onto that. As an an eight-year-old, look, I probably didn't get a lot of the subtleties for it, so it was just a sci-fi show, and I guess it was in the same vein. I mean, I watched Doctor Who, and then shortly afterwards I was watching Battlestar, I was watching Buck Rogers. When I probably really properly discovered it, I think was when they repeated it a couple of years later, late at night. They did a repeat run 
of the first three seasons, that was about 81, 82, somewhere around there, I think. Saturday nights. Yeah, like last thing on Saturday nights, because I was probably a little bit older. And and I guess, perhaps leading into a discussion point, I think we've got in a moment, it was in a period where Doctor Who was on a break. Is that where Anthony Howe was screaming in the background? Uh, well, that would have been break between, what, season 17 and when they, they booed 18 and 19 here. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah, was a big, that was a big yeah, break. Yeah, that was a yeah. big break. There was yeah. probably about uh, at least 12 months, and I think it was even more. It was 18 months. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, where there was just no Doctor Who. But there was Monkey. <laughs> well, I did look. I, I remember when they said they were taking Doctor Who off to, to replace it with Monkey. And I thought, no, I'm not watching this. I want Doctor Who. And I think it took about two minutes and the first fight scene in Monkey. And I was absolutely hooked. <laughs> but, yeah, when, when I... Um, I sort of started probably appreciating Blake 7 a lot more when it was on late at night. And then, yes, it, it went off. And it's never been screen free to air here. Again, it was only ever screened twice. But all, all four seasons, I was screened once and repeated, and then they've never mm. been on free to wear again. And really, other than till UK TV, I don't think they'd ever been on cable either, or anything. I don't. I don't think. Uh, no, there, there was a very long period. So when the compilation tapes, ta- uh, tapes came out, that was a big thing because I remembered really enjoying it, and then of course suddenly, oh look, there's tapes, and and look, they were horribly edited, and there's heaps of stuff cut out of them. But that well, 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 the one with Deliverance or Act definitely benefits from the edits. yes it, yes it does um it does but for the like for the first little while that, that was about as good as it got if you mm-hmm. really wanted to remember it there were no bits of merchandise that filtered out we might touch on that later but your the, fandom yes. was effectively there, there were about th- there were three novelizations yeah. um that covered the first one covered the yeah. first four episodes That's the next right. one covered three of the travis ones and then there was another one that covered three episodes of season the four. The first part of yeah. season four. Which, yeah. which just to go back to your Target um, episode with um, David J. Howe, I actually read the novelization of season four before I saw it. So the Scorpio, <laughs> Slave, all of that, I, it was like a target, the Target novel yeah. who, you know. It sounded so much better than it, the real <laughs> It was nothing like what I'd imagined it to be. That's certainly true. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Richard, I cut off. Um, no, well, that, that's that's sort of it. Well, there wasn't a heap. I don't even remember seeing the magazine out yeah. here. Minotaur got the magazine. Um, yeah. yeah, see, that was probably, probably that was before I discovered Minotaur, probably. And you had the Corgi toy. Yes, I, I actually, yes, toy. I did have the Corgi toy. Mm. That's yes, the one. Yes. Is that yes. the Liberator, is it? Yeah. The white one or the, oh, the, the silver one? Yes, Yes, I had the Corgi toy. I saw that coming from where in the shop. Um, but there wasn't really a lot. So it was very much, I mean, I had the, the compilation taste, but other than that, it was really a sort of a forgotten series. And then suddenly they started releasing the VHSs. Um, and this was like, wow. And of course, I immediately rushed out and bought all of them. And I remember going into Minotaur because they were actually importing them mm-hmm. um, and, and just putting a massive pile of them on lay because they were months ahead of what was being released here. No, they put a massive markup on them as well. Yes, they did. <laughs> um, yes, they did. And, and I probably, with the benefit of hindsight, sort of had that uh, buyer's regret probably. <laughs> but, but I got to see them months before the, the tapes were released here. So, mm. um, so look, I, I was probably, you know, I was okay with it at the time. And probably slightly better quality videotape itself. So Yeah, uh, yes, probably. Um, I think, I think that's right, the local... The, the UK imports were usually much better. Much better yeah, um, yeah, so that's sort of my thing with it. And I've been a fan really probably ever since yeah, ever, ever since I first saw it. So Did you stumble... I mean, Dave, you said that your father sort of brought you into it through videotaping it. Did you just stump? You, can you recall? Did you um, stumble across it? Or? No, I think I, I probably saw it. I don't know. Either... No, I, I remember actually sitting there waiting for it each week. So I, it must have been either. I must have seen an ad for it. I think there was an ad after... 
Doctor probably who. after who or something and something like there's a new show starting Friday yeah. night 7.30 type of thing and, and, and they showed a few exciting scenes I think of, of yeah people getting shot basically and things like that yeah um, um, and now a big country <laughs> <laughs> this day tonight with Bill Peach that's right <laughs> um, oh, the 70s yeah, yeah so I, I remember that and I, I remember watching the end of the first season when the, the Libro blows up spoilers <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> um, I said that for you and then uh, and then sort of being really like you know what happens next and of course probably being young and not really understanding that there was, you know, a whole other season or anything to come. And there was a break. I think they... I'm from memory, they showed season two and three here together, I think. That's my recollection as well. When Because the following year when they, they showed it, which is why I have a feeling yeah. it was the, towards the end of 78. And this is where I'm jumping in. Yes. I, I watched the same the same time, very first episode, live on Australian television. Um, and watched the 13. There was a year's break... Uh, got to the end of the two Ronnies or whatever it was yeah. and they started again uh, I can't remember they showed the first season again but they certainly went into the second don't think so because I'm pretty sure yeah. those Saturday Night Repeats were the only the time, time that they, yeah, they did repeated that. them I so think. they did two and three together so that means we, we'd fallen into 1980 because right. uh, they were showing it in Britain at the start of there and I think we soon got it soon after them for that run because uh, we remember, as soon as Star One happened, we were waiting 13 weeks. Where's Blake? Where's a, who's this dickhead? Where's Blake? Where's Blake? Where's Blake? Um, and uh, about Richard Franklin. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to say, it's just something about ABC programmers that they believe that the people who would like to who tune in for the two runnings would also tune in for the science well, fiction dystopian fantasy. That's just where it was. But we didn't get all the episodes in season three. Um, in that first run, like they they didn't no, show, right. they 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 skipped Ultra World. A oh, bugger! <laughs> yeah, and I think that was, and I think, and I think they skipped. They were doing fans of I'm not too sure, but they might have skipped Sarcophagus to that first time. Yeah, you might be right. I think uh, it was preempted for whatever. And I remember on the Saturday nights there was a couple they skipped as well because it was either the election or there was a sporting thing on yes. or something, and the rest of the country obviously got it and we didn't. Yeah, um, but then, then it went to that Saturday night. They repeated all three seasons, and then a year later we had season four. Thursday night. And you watched it from the very beginning. What yes. are you, you said you, you picked it up from watching uh, the, the trailer for you know the ads yeah. after Doctor Who. Okay. Yeah. And what kept you watching? Oh, it was just well, one. You got the buy-in straight away that it was Terry Nation. Yeah. Um. And you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's the bloke that was in the Sunmakers, and yeah. well, that's the thing because actually, because we were so far behind with Doctor Who, when yeah. they put the Sunmakers on, look, it's filler. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so it was. It was just that whole thing. There was that arc. You wanted to know where they go, and you sort of like, oh, slow start with the way back, and um, you know, sort of, okay, what's going to happen next? But when you had Spacefall, they found the Liberator, uh, and you you love to hate Raker, uh, and just the whole thing. Well, that was happening. It, it just looks Spacefall is a brilliant piece of television. It is. It is great. actually. I watched that uh, part of one of my episodes. I watched in prep for this, and I, I must say, I think it's probably. I think it's actually probably the best episode, certainly of the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's a yes. great episode. But it's a great story, and at the same time, there's so much exposition, so much setting up of the whole series, and you don't even notice that they do it all in 50 minutes. No, they it's do. It's a brilliantly piece. Brilliantly and, and, and Raker is, he, he, I must admit, he's great. Leslie Schofield, yeah, wonderful. 
So, I mean, yeah. I do have that theory, yes, where he thought maybe he probably thought his career was really taking off about then because he'd been in Doctor Who yes. and he'd been in that new multi million dollar blockbuster Star Wars thing that had just recently come out. <laughs> Plus, he was in the BBC's new, you know, new, new big, uh, new big sci fi show. Mm. And well, then he did the professionals. You actually felt that they, the BBC had a lot of faith in it, that, you know, with the sets, the Liberator, the model work that they had mm. uh, of, of what was there, um, it, it showed, you, you saw the dolls on the screen for a lot of it. Looking back hindsight now, yeah, it looks cheap, it looks rubbishy. But, I don't but at think, the time. But at the time. And, and don't forget, it rated. Like, the, 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 series, the series finale got 10 million viewers. Mm. Off it. <laughs> um, We're keeping that in. <laughs> you know, ten million viewers. So this wasn't a niche thing. This no, was, that's right. you know, that's up with to the Manor Born and stuff like that in that period. It was big, big mm. ratings. It was, and well, that's why they renewed it for season four because of the turmoil and yeah, the mother of BBC controller says, oh, "I really like that show." Oh, but he gets some more episodes then. Yeah, so I. <laughs> and then know, look we, what we, we, but it, it is an important point because we often talk about these shows that we like. And they are very niche shows that you know didn't really rate or they only got a season. This was this was big mainstream TV. Mm, it yes. was, and it was more for Terry falling out, not from Doctor Who, but um, following on from the Survivor, from Survivors rather than his. Well, that's right. Doctor Who. Mm. That's right. Thank God they didn't give Blake Seven to Terence Dudley. <laughs> 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 he, did, he took over Doomwatch, didn't he? He did, yeah, he, he, he did. He did both Doomwatch and Survivors. Survivors and, and he drove screwed both of them. That's right. Now we had the real Lorimer for ours. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't that bad. No, um, his heart was in the right place. We'll come yeah, to that later. We'll come later. What about you, director? Well, uh, I must confess that I'm not as big a fan of Black Seven as uh, you fine gentlemen. Um, Again, are you yeah. still here? <laughs> why are you still here? And I, I'm not quite sure why. Um, I do, as Richard and Tom were saying, I did watch it in the late '70s. I do recall watching it uh, on a Friday night. It, it might, I, my memory is that it was winter because I was standing up against the gas heater at home. Okay. Um, and having watched uh, Blake uh, at about two this morning, I recognised the set from when I was a boy. So I must have been watching at some point, you know, yeah. season four at some point. So I did see it, you know, when it was going out. So it's taken two. Yeah, so you would... But I, I'm not entirely... 83, 83, I think. Uh, could have been 83. Yeah. yeah. That would have been February. It was the same time Hitchhiker's Screen here. 82, uh, it was 83 because um, yeah because I, I, the only reason I know that is because I happened to be in Queensland when um, when Terminal screened because my, my, my memories of the Saturday night ones was if I was home obviously you could perch in front of it but obviously if my parents went out because mm-hmm. I wasn't old enough to, um, to to stay at home by myself at that point of course it then sort of became time to sneak off wherever we were so I could watch it and a lot of my memories, actually, the Saturday night screenings of suddenly being about 20, 25 minutes into the episode, then, oh, we're going home now. Oh, no. It's like, no, we can't leave yet. We can't leave. Avon's doing something. That's right. Because <laughs> I think we got our first video recorded because I actually had some, the last, I had Star 1 and some of the season 3s on tape that I remember watching and, and re-watching multiple times probably until the tapes, not the cheap-ass tapes, I recorded them on Snapped. No, I, I do remember that. No, they finished sort of late 82. Um, and then I think there was a bit of a break and then they relaunched I think the start of probably what would be the start of ratings period I think in 83 with yeah. uh, with series 4 I think uh, well no, I think that did over because I know from when the Saturday night series happened and before the wonderful advent of the home video recorder being so accessible I used to audio tape 
every episode. Okay. You grind uh, strong. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> what it was. Um, and it wasn't on a 45-minute cassette where you missed the start. And then, no, I had to buy the hour one. So you get all 50 minutes. Thank you very much. Did you um, wire your uh, recorder into the TV itself or just plonk it in front? No, no. Uh, we had a TV where you could have the audio output. Oh, God, technology. Wow. Technology, indeed. <laughs> Um, for that, oh, and also uh, uh, Mr. Freeland was a big help in that as oh, well. Yeah. So I used to uh, do most of it from there. And my parents bought back our first video recorder from an overseas trip duty free, uh, just in time so I could take the very last episode, Blake, on its original okay. run. Um, yeah. hmm. So don't have that tape still, do? No, it's gone to God. It has it fell apart mm. and then I think we got something else because I, I did have it all on recorded uh, home video and I had to just find some people that could give me the um, the missing episodes that they didn't show on, on that okay. second run so okay. intriguing now, just getting back to me before I hand over to Mark um, yeah I'm not quite sure why I didn't get into it because I mean the themes of the show which you know unlike say perhaps the visuals don't really stand up now. The themes are ones that we still grapple with today and um, after this I will go back and start watching it again. I mean I've, I've ploughed through the first couple a couple of years ago, a couple of seasons and then I just stopped for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, the, th the themes are Tarrant. eternal. <laughs> yes, Tarrant. The, 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 the themes are those that we still grapple with today and I think that that's what I, I would take more out of it now than, uh, than anything else. Mm. Um, Mark? I have vague memories of it in the UK uh, I certainly had a Liberator toy. I knew about it, but I really can't remember any specific episodes I watched. And it wasn't until, I think, the advent of the home videos and the, those original compilations came out, I think I borrowed the first one and just watched it, and that was really it. It didn't sort of resonate much with me. But when the VHSs came out in the early 90s, I watched Series 1 and Series 2. And because the person who I was getting from stopped buying them, <laughs> and I was too cheap to buy them myself, <laughs> uh, I didn't go through series uh, three and four. And it wasn't until uh, really last year when I thought, well, you know, you're halfway through your life, you better start watching this show before something <laughs> might happen. Phil uh, Morris, take note. <laughs> take note, Phil. Uh, I, I'm going to start the great journey. So I <coughs> acquired all uh, 52 episodes and was watching them on the train to work or, you know, when I had to spare, you know, f uh, 45 minutes. So I went in really fresh because okay. I have really no preconceptions of it. And I think it stands up very well. In terms of hit and misses, I think uh, there are only a few misses and certainly a better uh, hit rate than who. It was certainly interesting. I, as jaded fans, I, Richard and I... As you were coming up to episodes, we would quite often go, "Oh, just steal yourself for this one," or you know, just just get. But you were regularly coming back, going, "Guys, it wasn't nearly as bad." And, you know, that, it, that's right. It was yeah. a good reflection of the the jaded fan versus the new, genuinely new viewer. Yeah, because you know, like everybody's going, "Well, watch out for the, har the harvest of Karyos, whatever it's called, and Kairos, whatever it was, Kairos." Kar <laughs> sorry, I was watching the other one, and. Uh, it wasn't as bad as what I thought. I mean, yes, there were a couple of duff ones in Series 4. But even like Series 4, I heard, wasn't particularly good. But it was. There's nothing wrong with it. I, I think... I, I, I do remember Animals Broke You, though. Oh, Animals and Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had my wobble. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I do remember sort of um, 
sort of having to think before I pulled the wallet out to pay for that one. I, I saw they were on the same tape. On the so same like, tape, that's right. Do I really need this? But again, I read Star Drive as a novelisation before I saw it. And as a novelisation, it's yes. pretty cool. It's, it's until you actually see the space rats and watch the space rats. Yes. That's what drags it down. Whereas Animal... Animals. Ultra World was pretty bad too. Yeah, Ultra World's probably yeah. my most of a lot. But in terms, I used to like uh, Spot the Hoop celebrity. You know, you, oh, oh yeah. there's Rob Beatty is in, in one of the episodes, and uh, I think that series hasn't dated as badly as say like Next Generation has. Mm. I think Next Generation's dated a lot worse than what Blake Seven has. Uh, the, the the really science fictiony ones of mm. Next Gen really have the ones that revolve around the, the Picard philosophy episodes. Yeah. Strangely enough, they, they stand up a lot more yeah. as somebody who watches a lot of Trek. But no, you're right. Does that segue into the um, the point we were making about the links between who and... Absolutely. Like I said, we, we all sort of... Yeah. Well, it, it's it's long been sort of a bit of a, a fandom theory, if you like, or discuss that you look at who fandom, and you've got a lot of people who came in as kids with the Pertwee years, then Robert Holmes and Philip Hitchcliffe very much said, you know, we're going for the smart tech 13-year-old. And, you know, those early teenagers as well as the kids and really grew that audience. Now, a lot of that audience would have hit the Graham Williams era just at the same time that they were becoming, and Tom's nodding here, the cyni- cynical, <laughs> cyni- cynical teenagers. Now, we all, I think many of us, look back at the Graham Williams era now with a certain amount of fondness. Mm. But as 17-year-olds, I don't think we did. Well, they were declaring jihad, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. That's the right. We did. So suddenly, if you're thinking yeah. Doctor Who's becoming a bit too lightweight, a bit too silly, and there's a new series, it's darker, it's grittier, it's got more money... But not only that, um, David Maloney is the producer. Terry Nation is the creator. Um, the guy who wrote Robots of Death and The Day God Went Mad and Image of the Fendal is the script editor. It's had a good pedigree. Yeah, and you know, you then going Robert Holmes is writing for it. Um, Mitch Mitchell and all of those people are doing the special effects. If you're a cynical or slightly put-off Doctor Who fan looking for the new big thing, Blake Seven was just there at exactly the right time. It, it, it was. I mean, I... I Probably, as I said, for me, when I, I really got into Black Seven was when they repeated them in the early 80s. Um, and look, I, I probably wasn't drawn by the names or anything, because look, I, I really, at that, I probably at that point in fandom, I wasn't really up on, sufficiently up on people to know who were, you know, production team gods and who weren't. So um, I think for me, it came more at a time when I was probably not, not growing away from Doctor Who, but I... It came, as I said, in, in when there was a break. And, and I'd gone through probably three years, I think, of, of where Doctor Who was just the most awesome show I'd ever, ever seen. And because of that break, and I'd obviously, you know, 18 months older and was looking for something else. And, of course, Blake 7 being pitched more adult um, probably started appealing to me a lot more than the 80s Who did. Absolutely. Um, and, again, I think, as you say, and it was, when you... you lived through season 15 which is fairly good the key mm. to time but when you had 17 and you watched that live here in 1980 um, it was a shocker you know every fan, other than the city of death every story was a disappointment the, the word around the club at the time you know oh that was terrible you know Doctor Who that, and J&T was coming along and everyone was so looking forward to that mm. uh because he says they're going to get rid of the silliness, got to make it more drama and be more adult and things like that. And that was right at the time that 
we're post Star One, and so fans have to hate something. And Jared got the focus of that for that year, and then everything, everything about season four reminded everybody of season seventeen at the time when you're watching it live. And you can you can go back now thirty five years later. Uh, yes, and look upon fondness of the horns of Naimon or creature from the pit. And all I don't, I, I, do maybe not like maybe, maybe not creature from the pit. More <laughs> <laughs> nightmare of Eden. Um, but and you can do the same for Blade Seven. So other than your absolute down white clunkers, look an can't. episode like Headhunter I watched yesterday. Headhunter is an absolutely bobbins episode in terms of plot. It makes no sense whatsoever, but it's they just go for it. It's got some great lines. It's got some great moments, and yeah, you can you can just throw yourself in that and enjoy just, a really fun episode. As long as you don't have anything written by Ben Steed, you know, you've probably got a very good, got a fairly good series there. You know, mm. that's looking at power. One, get me moved. <laughs> oh, but again, look, power, power. The first time I saw it, I thought this is nonsense. Again, in the right mood, I can appreciate like some of that stuff with good say. You know, a rule by I'm right is left hand and by it's a BBC Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> then he sort of does. I, I have to say that. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. There's, there's some good stuff in there. But um, so we, we we said this before that it was a darker and grittier show. Now, except they're so clean. Well, mm, that's no, true. But but yes. I think we probably need to touch now on how successful it was in doing some for, for BBC and sorry, not ABC seven thirty on a weeknight. It was pretty dark stuff. It was, although they go, they back away from some of the nastier stuff. I mean, yeah, the opening episode has Blake basically set up for being a child molester, but they back away from that quite quickly, particularly once you get out of the first season. I mean, it's never, ever mentioned again. Um, I mean, Raker makes Until a comment. Until Torchwood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, typecast. <laughs> no, but, um, but I mean, Raker really... makes a comment about it in Spacefall. You know, he says, you know, a bit of a come down for a leader of men, isn't it? At least in kids. Um, Absolutely. But, but well, not just that example, but you look at my all-time favourite episode, Rumours of Death. You've got the stuff in that where Avon gives Shrinker the way out, and it's a gun. Mm. Um, the, the, you know, the speech about, you know, when Servalance chained to that wall. And, you know, there's, there's some quite add-on stuff in there. Um, but we never had it edited here. Which is quite surprising. It's quite amazing. Who? No, six, that's right. six o'clock at night and Caves of Andersani. Well, yeah, they wouldn't even show Caves of Andersani here. Uh, but because it was post 7.30 and rated accordingly mm. as in a PG slash uh, M classification, it wasn't done that way. It was you know, quite do, good. Do you think that because it touched on a lot of political themes that it was safe from you know, getting the edit here whereas Doctor Who is a kid's show, was, you know... I, I, I suspect it's possibly... Who, who, obviously, I think has always been traditionally... It's just, it's a kid's show, as far yeah. as everybody here is concerned. It's, it's a kid's program, and you can't do nasty stuff um, in a kid's program. Whereas, I, I think, Blake Seven was probably clearly marketed more as something for adults um, or older teenagers who, you know, who can probably cope with that sort of thing. Perhaps. Well, um, for, for example, I mean, who, who you know, at that time, um, J&T had his no hanky-panky in the TARDIS rule. It's never explicitly said that Blake and Jenna are an item, but if you want to read it there, it's definitely, I think, there. Uh, Avon and Surlin, I think it's very much there. Um, all of them. I mean, 
it's explicit between Dana and Avon in the start of season three. Mm. Yes. Uh, and and Serverland and Karen, Serverland and Jarvik, Serverland and Ray, or Serverland and Avon. Yes, uh, you know it was all. It's all out there for you know mm. the sexual. There, there was sexuality in the show. Yes, so, v- even, v- villainy. Um, yes, villainy. Yes, and and, and they and well, they know. They know well, <laughs> oh, I was going to say they know they're going to die, and they go and obviously what, do what, the deed. How and can we spend our last ten minutes dressed again? That is yes. How can we spend our last ten minutes? I've got an idea. Yes. Mm. Um. So, one of the things that impresses me though about the show. Is that mm. well? Avon Kelly, you could debate both ways, because um, there's one time where she explicitly implies that it's not happening. But that's later, so they might have ended by then. That's right. So who knows? But but yeah, look at that. Um, Blake Seven goes a long way, particularly in those first episodes, to really create a world where you believe that the regime that they're fighting against is actually worth fighting against. Mm. And I compare that to Star Wars. I mean, look, we all know that Star Wars is, you know, pulp. Pulp. It's it's you know B movie, country and western, with spaceships. But at no time do you actually see in Star Wars how normal John Smith in the street doing his job is affected by the change from the Republic to the Empire and why he'd care whether the Emperor's in charge. It's just not there. Was in Blake Seven they very clearly show the corruption in the system. Uh, you see, you know, there's that wonderful moment at the start where you've got the um, archivist who's happy to first take a bribe to give them secret information and then turns them in. <laughs> and, you know, then, this, then the, the administration comes in. They, they, um, Kelman comes and kills them. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, who acted straight from the start. That's right. And, you know, there's, there's, there's the whole cover-up. They frame Blake as a child, Blake as a child molester. So you, you've really got this idea that it's a genuine corrupt place. Mm. It's where we're told that Blake's family were killed. That's just right. for being the family of a um, dissenter. So you, you do feel as though this is a real world, a real dystopian civilization that Blake should be fighting against. And there's a lot of series that don't really do that. They just go, the, the bad guys are the bad guys because they're the good guys. I, I really think that, that that's one of the reasons why it does hold up. Mm. There, there's a lot of it there. And I suppose and the general setting, when you look at the, um, the first episode through that, I'm just digress for off, off topic there a bit you, you've got your setup of your corridors always corridors um, but it, it felt uh, like well you see the dome you think Logan's run honestly <laughs> and you know it, it's a wasteland outside uh, and you can see the remnants of the wars mm. because it was a, a disused tunnel and all that sort of thing and I think they lost focus of that as they had got more money or at least spent their money better. Because when you go to Pressure Point, you know, there's forests mm. and there's all these lovely places where we can hide in old churches. Mm. And then when we go to Rumours of Death, we've got this Big wonderful mansion. mansion. Well, they, they, they do say that it costs the price of three cities to build the mansion, though. So I'll, so, I'll forgive them that one. But yeah. but even, you know, when you get to Countdown, which is another one of, one of Terry Nation's best episodes of not just Blake 7, but probably anything. It's a very good episode you again see that you know the, the federation's willingness to uh wipe out that population um because the planet's important to them mm. um it's implied in mission to destiny that the fungus that's killing uh, the planet destiny wasn't a natural phenomenon was the federation mm. um punishing them for not joining other side of the terra nostra yeah yeah Shadow. that's exactly I mean, the chris Patrick episode that's right so all the way through you you they reinforce that the federation are really bad and they are corrupt, and they are evil, and it is actually something to rebel against. 
and that gives the show a bit more, dare I say, gravitas, then... Um, <laughs> Much abused word. Except it is. <laughs> Except it, they're too stupid to realise the several of them are slick. We'll get to season four. I was just thinking um, what Dave was saying there. I mean, the show is clearly a very much a product of the late 70s. The Cold War is grinding on. Mm. I mean, this, this nation, apart from taking his uh, inspiration from you know, the Wild Bunch and the Dirty Dozen and all that sort of thing, is he taking his inspiration from the Cold War, from the Soviet Union, that sort of thing? Robert or or is, is he looking outside and going, you know, Britain at this point, the three-day week... You know, political oh. incompetence, the economy's run down, you know, bureaucracy gone mad. Well, we know nations always had a fascination with fascism. Yeah. And that certainly flows through. And, I mean, the Cold War was everywhere. So you get that, again, your countdown that comes through very, very strongly. So it's certainly part of the atmosphere, I guess. But it, it outlasts that because mm. you can still watch it today. It's not of its... It is of its time, it's not of its time. In, yes. If I can contradict it myself, it transcends its time. Yeah, it does. Could you do something like Black Seven now? They keep trying. Well, they do. I think you could certainly do Black Seven now. Oh, yeah. um, and and in some ways, look, if you, I mean, Black Seven has a fairly loose arc, shall we say, where it has an arc. Um, so I mean, you you probably could do the arc stuff a lot tighter. And, and probably give it a real progression rather than sort of a, a fandom constructed one. And look, I, I think it would still resonate. I mean, it, it's hard because every time they've sort of tried it, really hasn't mounted to nothing. Um, but is that because they try to go for space adventure when really it was a um, political thriller or a character-driven thriller? Like, what, what, what do we think about with Blake Seven? It's, it's Blake and it's Avon and it's 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 those characters driving Blake Serverland and Travis. It's that more than. Than the, the space outright space adventure, or, or that's right, the, the good fighting, the good fight. And I think if you if you did it today, the temptation would be to put too much money into making it look good and forgetting about mm. forgetting about the, the story. Yeah, and I mean the characters. It, again, you do you did that, that opening episode. There's there's nothing visually, as you say, the the tunnels, everything are visually well done, but they're not visually stunning. No, but the the moments that you remember, you know, the the the, the, tro- the fake trial, the framing. Um, the young lawyer and his wife being murdered. Mm. That's what stands out. And that's it's, it's those human moments that if you lose them, you lose Blake Seven. And I think that's the problem. And I think that the moral ambiguity of the characters, because I don't think anyone in the show from what I've seen so far is all good. I mean, you look at Blake already. One man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. That's right. And you could argue that Blake in toppling an empire or toppling the Federation or trying to is going to lead to the death of millions and millions of people. Well, I mean, he. I mean, you, I suppose you get to that progression in, in at the end of the second season, don't you? Where it's just like, well, I'm going to destroy Star One, and I don't care about the consequences. And and I mean, he's explicitly told that you know you do realise this is going to result in millions and millions of deaths. And he says, well, I have to be sure. Yeah, I have to be right. sure. This is right. This is the only way we can do this, and I have, I have to be sure that I was right. It, it is until the only other remedy is, and he realises. Can't they mm. really try to stop it? That's right, but you're absolutely right, Rob. Blake's descent from slightly more pure, if we can, if I can say that, freedom fighter to outright an honest fan, man, an honest man to an outright fanatic, is a very important part of that arc over those first couple of seasons. Until yeah, you, you do see his moral shift, and he gets caught cool on it by by the characters. Yeah. So it's very important, absolutely. And what's Avon's um, role in those first two seasons? Because he's cast against Blake, as a, in a sense, is from what I can pick up. Yeah. So, 
I mean, all right, so Blake is your freedom fighter who you know becomes effectively a terrorist. What's Avon's role in those first two seasons? To survive. Is that, that effectively that, that, that's, mm. that's his personal uh, ideology. Mm. Uh, more the case for, for, for structure purposes of storytelling, he was there as a henchman. He's the computer guy. They needed something done. But, so he, he's a means to an end to get Blake to do it because Blake always had to come up with the reason that Avon has to come along mm. and do this, whether it was by being nice or saying, well, it's my ship, you can just get off if you like. I can't sabotage a nuclear reactor without you. Exactly. Yes. So, you know, you're only going to stay free if we stay free and we're not going to stay free unless you help us. Yes. So it was always that cajoling part of it. Uh, plus, plus, I guess there's also that, that thing that's important. A, a, you get to the point where he wants the ship. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, Blake is going to go off and lead the rabble to victory. Whatever that, that might, might mean. mean. But... Um, he he wants the ship. Plus, uh, plus there is also the, the the underlying thing that he's there. Um, he has to stay because there's really nowhere else for him to go. Yes, because he's a wanted man. So, um, and and you know his his potential bolt hole is destroyed. But I think he's already worked out that he probably can't stay there. Mm. Um, and then he's sort of at the point. Well, where else do I go? Mm. Well, the whole component was, you know, leading up to that was Horizon, where everyone's captured and you, I'm going to run. And the odds are, if three um, Federation ships come after you, you haven't got a hope, because how many come along? Just enough. Yeah, but so, you're right. he, he was willing to go at that point. He was absolutely willing to go, but then he realised if I run and get through that uh, but you, you sort of I can't, I can't the, you do almost survive. get the impression in Horizon he's trying to talk himself into it. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's not a case of, well, the I'm going. It is a case he's actually sort of trying to talk himself into, yes, yes, I can do this, and I'm, I'm yes, yes, I'll be okay if I do do this. Yes. And yes, I, and yes, I can live with myself if I was to do this. I'm not expendable, I'm not stupid, and I'm not <laughs> going. That's right. But, and all of the parts, even further on, I mean, it, I think it gets down to trial, where he realises that they have to get Blake back, and he makes an effort. He's still at odds, but he's more on side than he knows because the end game was Star One, and I'm going to get the ship after that. So, and he, do, he does volunteer to go with Blake in Pressure Point because he was going to get the ship after that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So it's always that promise just out of reach, you know, because it do, doesn't quite come off. But but a great like, example of a character that grows with the actor. And, you know, Chris Boucher, famously, he and Paul Darrow would sit down in the pub and write cool lines for Avon. Although they both watched the Saturday Night Western and Paul Darrow would drink a speech from, hey, did you see that scene? Do that for Avon! Mm. And all of his great lines and, and then Terry Nation apparently later said, oh, he said, oh, I didn't realise I'd written Avon so well. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Terry, you did. Um, and then with the advent of season three where Gareth had said, no, I've had enough, going back to do some RSC. They changed Avon a bit, but not a lot. They did not make him the new freedom fighter. He was looking for a bolt on. He was going to try and be safe, but he just had skirmishes. Yeah. And that's what season three was. It was uh, the Federation had to re-expand, and they kept running into them here and there. And so Avon had to adjust his stat- strategy until he became what he was in season four, and then went nuts. <laughs> Sometimes we all go a little bit crazy. So, my, my impression is that Avon the character as you were saying grows through the first two seasons so that when he, you know they need a new leading man 
he's the he's the obvious choice. I mean, it's clearly not Villa. Um, <laughs> it's it's Avon. Yes. Well, let, let's face it. A lot of people were watching for him by then. Mm. Absolutely. Um, which is which is a shame in in terms of Gareth Thomas because Gareth Thomas gives a no perfect performance pretty much throughout his couple of seasons. Most of the time. I mean, there are a couple of episodes where you can sort of see I'm not the focus this week, so I don't really give a shit. No, look, look um, sure, but... He's not but, Rick James. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody is. Other than Rick James, he's Rick James. But you look at those incredibly serious... What's the right... I don't know what the right word is, but... Gravitas. No, no, no. <laughs> a much abused word. <laughs> the, the, those, those very serious and intense speeches that Blake gives about, you know, what's right and fine if what's right... You'd need a good RSC quality actor to convincingly do that. And Gareth Thomas, okay, he wasn't as exciting as Paul Darrow's Avon. He wasn't quite as, you know, punch-the-wall, great one-liners as Avon. But he gave those scenes that make, make the thing work with absolute conviction. But that's not you the couldn't actor. Have... That's the character, the way the character was written. And that was Gareth's problem with the character, was that I'm literally there. I, I, don't, have, I don't have shades of grey. I've got no nuances. I am there to fight the Federation, my way, this way, black and white. And if it's not, you know, I'm the captain of the... And that's why Avon got all the best lines, because he mm. can play in that grey and do the snide. But, but Thomas's performance in within that still makes you believe in that character. Absolutely. And I, it wouldn't have worked without that. Correct. And, and that classical training And shows. Gareth Thomas was perfect for the role, but you can certainly understand his point of view where he says, I have to go because... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, this role is leading nowhere. I mean... Mm. Same as... Uh, well, well same where, where, where could you have taken Blake? Same as a female. Um, um, yeah. Really? <laughs> where, where could you have taken Blake after Star 1? I mean, once the Federation had been destroyed, mm. albeit temporarily, I mean, where did he go? In some ways it actually works quite well, but the character left at that point. Could, do you think they would have gone Star 1 if Gareth wasn't leaving? I don't know. But could you see Blake after Star 1 becoming, the, you know... I mean, what was his ultimate aim? Was it to you know reintroduce democracy, or would Blake simply have been you know a, a replacement for someone else, you know the current leadership, and just gone on as being a totalitarian figure? Well, I, I think the intention. I, I mean, they they make it a couple of times that he would be the figurehead behind which all the resistance groups would rally. Um, you know, or they make the point you are the only one that they would all follow, um, and, and he will fight to the last drop of their, their blood. blood. <laughs> um, but, so, I guess in some ways you almost setting up for the fact, had it gone on, that, that he would you know, promote himself as, the, as the, the natural choice for going... And you see a little bit of that in Rumours of Death, where Sula leads that re- re- revolution against Serverland, and temporarily is successful, mm. and all she does is set herself up to become the new ruler, and that, that guy has the line, you know, the guards didn't die to put you behind her desk. Mm. But, and you, could, you, you may well have seen that with Blake, like, you know, does he become the new temporary but unelected president. I, I think it would have fallen the same way. You still had fragments of the Federation out there in Season 3 and they were reconsolidating. They just didn't have a central control. Mm. They were getting that back. So I don't think Blake could have given up the Liberator to, to put himself somewhere in charge of something that wasn't there. Because Serverland had already manoeuvred herself into that position mm. to become president of a reduced Federation that was still... Doing bad well, well the, the point has been made that given how badly the Federation takes a beating at the end of Star 1 and they still come out two years later, w- would they ever be stoppable? But can I just make the really serious point? 
the fact we're having such an in-depth discussion about the universe of this series with absolute sincerity it just shows how in, in into this universe you can get mm. it really does allow you to just get right into that nuance and this is the thing I find really interesting about um, TV made in the 60s and 70s that it's so it's not not so tightly knitted together as you find today with, with modern television where every I is crossed and every T mm. every I is dotted every T is crossed there's enough space in Blake 7 for you to knit your own um, continuity or knit your own theory about what actually is going on. It's worth noting, though, I mean, Chris Boucher was one of the very, not not the pioneer, but a very early example of a script editor who put together the the, the, the Bible. And so, you know, he would go through, not just a script editor fixing the lines, but he would go through and fix the continuity so that they use the right terminology. And, you know, the use of spatials all the way through those first three series is pretty consistent. They're pretty consistent in what the Liberator can and can't do in terms of how long it can run before the power banks go up, what its maximum speed is. There's a great consistency there mm. that you don't see in a lot of 60s and 70s sci-fi. No, I mean, he is sort of... He was, though, and, and it's gone on record as saying he's fairly anti, anti-arc and anti-making it a serial because, I mean, his stated thing was really you should be able to show the episodes in a season in, in pretty much any order, with the exception of the first one and the last one. Yeah, but when you get Terry Nation's big arc vision, mm. underwritten by Chris Boucher's attention to detail, you get a really good balance of the two. I think, anyway. Mm. Chris Boucher, the uh, best Doctor Who script editor they've ever had. He's probably got the best hit rate mm. of any Doctor Who writer. Yeah. Three classics out of three shows. Now, we've mentioned her before... Servalin is an interesting character insofar as you got a female baddie, which was reasonably rare, I suppose, was, in the I mean, serial I'm or series. I'm fairly sure that role was originally cast as male, I think. Written as male, I think, yes. Um, I think Terry Nation's thing, I, I think, was that it was going to be a, be a male character, and, and I think rarely seen, too. The main mm. sort of antagonist was, was to be Travis. Mm. Um, and so much to the point they went out and spent like a large, very large sum of money on getting him kitted out in a full leather bodysuit, like a full leather <laughs> outfit. But uh, and then you know he went down from was it nine episodes in the first season to, to five mm. um, or something. And, and of course the costume then didn't fit Brian Croucher. So no, <laughs> not that. <laughs> Poor old Brian. Poor old Brian. Poor old Brian. Well, ha- having said that, in his defence. Weapon is an appalling um, script to introduce him to. Mm. Brian Croucher. Look, had he played the role from the start, I think he would be much better thought of. Yes. When he's given some really good scripts to work with, he does a very... I mean, he's brilliant in Star 1. Yes, he is. Mm. The final act. (laughs) My one regret is that they will never know who really killed killed them. them. The word. Then he's got they, stuff they, like hostage. They have hostage. That's right. Um, Crimos. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very very bad episode. But but yeah, look, he's given some real. You're right. He's given some real dud episodes. Um, I like Voice from the Past, but his oh. but his role in that is by far the weak bit of the show. Um, yes. Um, tro- uh, pressure pressure point against some great moments and some terrible moments, but. When he's given the chance, Brian Croucher shines. I just don't think he's given the chance a lot. And everybody missed Stephen Grief. Hmm. Hmm. And that was the hard part. I mean, people treated Brian Croucher as Travis the way people treated <laughs> Stephen Pacey <laughs> as Blake. <laughs> Everyone was like, it's not Blake. Well, it's not meant to be, but... 
Yeah. For Blake. <laughs> yeah. Fan, fan, fans get very possessive. Possessive. But um, just to go back to... Can we go back to Servant? Servant, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, I mean, female characters in her position would traditionally have been portrayed in a really negative light. Um, and it's interesting that, as you say, that she was originally envisaged as a, a man, that, all right, she's, you know, she's out for herself and she's interested in the accumulation of power and, and gaining control. But, I mean, there's a certain attractiveness to her character. There is, and... Uh, a very rare willingness by the show to allow her to use her sexuality in that she will, she will very clearly flirt with junior officers to get them on side and if that doesn't work she will use authority to get what she wants you know, she, she's willing to use those sort of characteristics and it doesn't diminish her or weaken her as a female character and that's very very effective does she stay as effective throughout the fourth series as she was no because I think she just became generic bad no, guy. No, well, I guess that the thing there was, and, and you would have thought maybe they'd have backed away from it, because initially, I'm uh, fairly sure Slear was set up, because she initially wasn't to be in the fourth series. That's right. Um, I think, because she was uh, either doing something else or un- unwell, I think, actually. Um, I think it was unwell. Yes. Um, Air quotes, unwell. I, I just thought she got blown up at the end of Terminal. Yeah, well, that <laughs> Um, so of none course, of them were coming back from that. No, that's right. No, well, that's that last the thing. Um, but of course, I think initially she wasn't intended to. She wasn't going to be in it. So of course, they created this this Slear character as a new antagonist. And then, of course, when she suddenly became available, rather than sort of maybe just skirt around that and have Serverlands alive. Um, they sort of progress with that Slear thing and, and you're right, like nobody in the Federation remembers who she is. I, I think the, the wonderful line from the Liberation book is um, it's as though the Shah of Iran was overthrown and suddenly turns up as the Chief of Security to the Ayatollah. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's that convincing and it's that uh, stupid uh, an idea. It's, it's very... it, it's, it, it, look, I, I like season four when we get there, I'll defend season four. The Slear stuff is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It is indefensible. And, and look, we were watching Gold before... Um, couple of people arrived. By that episode, they've, they've just given up on that. Like, there's no even pretense. No. Uh, uh, they, they, they saved all their shekels for the last episode, obviously. Yes. Well, so, and she wasn't in it. Your men, yeah, I noticed that last night at 2.30 in the morning. Well, um, yeah, there is a, a... I believe there is a story behind that too, but... Just not in her autobiography. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think it was... I know the story is that she was intended to be in it, but they sort of... Uh, I think the word is fucked up her contract and put her in one episode more than uh, too many during the season, and then the, they wouldn't reissue her contract for a um, for the last episode. Okay, I believe. Which I reckon is fortuitous. And I think I think the finale works better. Well, that's right. That it's, that it's actually not her. Yeah, well, of course it is. It's her, her who walks in the door, and that's <laughs> the idea that it's not her getting them. It's no. It's just things just finally the, caught up with. That's them. the thing, and I mean, I, I think there was a whole thing where she said. I, I believe that, that, you know, I'll, look, I'll do it for nothing. I don't care. I just want to be in the last episode. And it was just, no, sorry. And I think it works better for you her. Can, you can't sick with this. And she's not bitter about it either. She oh, doesn't well, remember it. No, no, well, she, no, seriously, her autobiography says, look, I know you're all waiting for Blake Seven stories, but look, that was a really difficult time in my life and I, I basically don't want to talk about it and I don't remember very much anyway. And that's it. That's the chapter. No. Yeah. Oh, I suppose it goes Lala Wards. Uh, <laughs> David, um. <laughs> yes, yes, that was a great purchase, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, Richard. Um, I suppose. Well, season four is commissioned very late in the day. 
Yes. Would that be right to say? Yes. Um, and, and without David Maloney. Mm. Without David Maloney. So V. Lorimer uh, takes over. What is it about season four that um, has attracted some controversy or some opprobrium? Or... So, and what is it about season four that you'd be willing to defend? Okay, so season four is a very different season, just visually, because the, the Liberator's gone, Zim's mm. gone, and the Scorpio's a very different ship, particularly initially. Yes. They, they, they do eventually get the Star Drive. And it gets a bit of speed. And a working teleport, strangely It does feel like a very... It looks like a very different season. It feels like a very different season. I know, Tom, you've got a couple of thoughts you can add on here as well. It does take a long time to get going. Um, the first episode is very good. Rescue by Chris Boucher yes. is a very is good, good episode. Yes, it is. If, you, um, if you ignore the fact that the planet that blows up is a different one to the one that they land on yeah. in Terminal. Yeah. I, thought you, I thought you were going to mention the Sea Devil. The Sea Devil. Well, there's a Sea Devil as well that's there, yeah. Um, there's your Doctor Who. It is. Um, that's a brilliant start to it. But then, look, power, power is an acquired taste. Uh, no. Arguably. It's... it's Star Drive is terrible, Animals is terrible. Yeah. Even even Traitor by Robert Holmes isn't bad, but it's not brilliant. It's it's not, it Robert takes Holmes a while to get going. No, it's not. And, and the ending of that is so horribly edited when they do that final yeah. assault on the... Yeah, it's... Because I wanted to kill her myself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that too, yeah. but yeah, when they do that final raid on the, on the Helitrix terminal, that is so horribly edited. You don't know what the hell happens. But, but, but from then on... I look. I could sit there and watch the next, with, with one exception, the next half of the season, and think they are brilliant episodes. Headhunter. Look, I agree. The premise what's is the, rubbish. What's the exception. But I'll get no. to that. Headhunter. No, no we, it's it, sand, that, isn't it? Warlord. Oh, okay. Yeah, come on. <laughs> um, Headhunter is a lot of fun to watch. But Warlord's really got Rick James in it. <laughs> Assassin. Assassin's a really fun episode to watch, even if it has got William Handel in a nappy. Um, and oh, really that is a visual. Bad, <laughs> a really bad actress. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but there's a lot of great Pierre. Pierre yeah. oh, there's a lot of great yes. stuff in Assassin. Um, games I really enjoy. I think that's a really fun episode. Sand is a really good episode. It's got some great stuff. Um, Tarrant especially had a good time. Yes. Um, and she got it, didn't she? she? Your, your sympathy, sympathy. <laughs> um, gold is Gold is wonderful. That's a great story. Orbit is in my top three. Warlord is bad. Yeah, and then, and then, you really? fin- then, you see, yeah. then you finish with Blake. There's just episode after episode of just great stuff. Um, pulled Arrow off the leash. Mm. It, it's, it's like watching Tom off the leash. You know, in, in those in those later, in, in the <laughs> sorry, Tom Baker. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, you like off the list, Tom. It's like watching Tom Baker in his prime, sort of around about season fifteen, of just going for it with great scripts. And look, I can see the first half of season four is weak, and Tom will tell me why he doesn't think it's very good. I will we'll make one final point though, which I think is interesting. Quite a while ago now, back when Dreamwatch magazine was around, they did a big series poll about Blake 7. And when they asked the fans to rank for the series best to worst, most people put series 4 at the bottom. However, when they averaged up how every fan ranked the individual episodes and averaged them per season, season 4 went up to third slot quite clearly and season 3 came down to the bottom. So although people might not quite like the setup of season 4, episode per episode in comparison... It did do better in the fans' view than season three, and I would say there's a lot more episodes to watch in season four than season three. Mm. Mm. And mm. a lot of it, the thing with season four, though, I suppose, if you look at literally uh, the three that you mentioned: Assassin, Games, Gold, less Assassin, but Games, Gold, and Orbit. 
it's exactly the same scenario with exactly the same outcome. They go off to find something, uh, to, to get something that they're going to help them. Uh, they get double-crossed, they get betrayed, and they lose. Don't, don't forget animals. Yeah. Let's forget animals. <laughs> animal, does anybody here not think animals is the worst of the 52? That is the worst. It's no, one I'm of the worst. It's, <laughs> it's in my four of worst stories. It's, it's bad. Again, maximum power book by the gentleman from Nuke Publishing, and they do the 65 episodes of Blake 7, because <laughs> they wrote 14 episodes in between. Um, you think, well, that's up to 66. Then they omitted animals and at the end they put a writer saying yeah no that's no that's just not going to happen <laughs> <laughs> it is worth we missed it on purpose the other thing is by that stage you've got some quite good guest stars rocking up I mean John Savadant is in orbit um, the chap is in games um, Stratford Johns Stratford mm. Johns rocks up in games uh, so you've got some quite good cast in there as well yeah, were they were they falling off the uh, J&T bandwagon of having to have a name I mean I certainly Recall, season four was when the Blake Seven Monthly came out. Mm-hmm. It came out with the start around the start of Rescue. It lasted a year beyond the last episode, uh, but you always got the makings of it, and it was all these picture things of you know they got this actor and this actress to appear in uh, episode. You know, aren't we great? You know, we got Rick Jones. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. It, it, it was just there, so... Yeah, look, I, I still think it's a lot better than Season 3. I'd watch a lot more episodes in that than I would Season 3. Although, although my all-time favourite episode is in Season 3, so... Which is? Rumours of Death. I'm kind of torn. I mean, I mean, I am not a massive fan of either of the last two seasons, to be honest. Um, I'm very much... My favourite parts of Black 7 are the first two. Um... It, it's hard. I because I, 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 I actually agree with both. See, season three, I think, as an entire season, is is general overall rubbish. There are some very good episodes in there, but as a general season, I, I, I taken as a whole, it's, it's rubbish. Season four, taken as a season, is probably better. There are better episodes in season four, but I think the whole focus of the series changes. I think that um, the problem with that was that at least season three you had the sets, you had everything, some really good costumes, and when they changed the focus in season four, it was just executed worse than what they executed season three. So the the, the dolls were there. I mean, one of the things that Blake Seven had going for it was they basically, by by even necessity, got an extra budget for the Liberator set and the Liberator models. Um, that's only because they used the whole season budget for that, and they said, well, we need another 12 episodes. Can we have some more, please? And then they had that also. Season 2 looks a lot, looks very, very good because yeah, all, all, all the big money's already spent, so they've got their whole budget yeah, to right. use. Season 4, they've got to build the Scorpio. They've got to build the Zed on base. Um, so the, the money's definitely gone. Can I, just, I just want to ask the group a question. Is there a good episode in Season 3 that's not written by Chris Boucher? Because you think about the good ones... Um, Sitting at the edge of Colin Baker. Um. <laughs> Honestly, I think you do well with Aftermath, which is Terry. Yeah, well, Terry. Terry well, yeah. No, it's got Terry's name on it, but it is Chris Belcher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those two aren't a bad reset, reset of the series. You know, as, as a restart. Um, um, but, but, you know, Rumours of Death, Death Watch, and Sitting at the Edge of Colin Baker yeah. are the three Chris Belchers in there. Mm. Children of Aura? Children of Aura isn't... Okay. Yeah. It's, it's got they were mine I, I felt, felt them, them die, die. Oh, Getka 
Yes. Sugar Island's not bad. I'll, I'll grant you that. I mean, I, I suppose it depends. If if your sarcophagus probably would be the other one. If if you yeah. if you buy into sarcophagus, sarcophagus is a great episode. If you don't buy into sarcophagus, sarcophagus is rubbish. Yes, but I I, I, I I love that sarcophagus exists. Yes, I just don't think it fits in Blake Seven very well. No, yeah. and, and interestingly enough, Sand is much the same. I think again, if you buy into the whole thing, Sand Sand is a great episode if you buy into it. If you don't buy into the, the fact that that sort of story can exist in Blake Seven, then Sand is utter rubbish as well. Yeah, that's fair. But but, um, but even if, if we're saying season, we'd be right with that. <laughs> <laughs> but even if we're saying if we're saying season three is the weakest season, I think we need to get back to why the other two are really oh, good. Well, if you look at the other, there's still episodes, a lot of good stuff in there. There is. I mean. I don't mind Volcano. I don't understand there's some issues. The whole race is prepared to commit uh, suicide. Well, I think the problem with Volcano is maybe it's just, it looks cheap. It, it looks cheap and... With I, Michael. I, I don't think it's yes, Michael. Yes, it's got Michael, Michael, Michael Goff <laughs> in it. Famous for some of the anecdotes in his ex-wife's autobiography. That's right. It, for all the Volcano just doesn't work for me. Yeah. I can see what they're trying to do and it just doesn't work. But when you, when you look at your depths of season three and you, you, you talk about Dawn of the Gods, the Harvest of Kairos. No, you see, Harvest of Kairos is at least you can laugh with, you can laugh at it. No, sorry, Villa's teaching Aurek to tell jokes. That no, that was Ultra World. Was that Ultra World? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ultra World's in my bottom two. Yeah, well, Ultra World. Ultra World's another bad one, you know, but it's a matter of, oh, where's Aurek? Oh, he's a short guy. No hair. Oh, yes, a bald dwarf shouldn't be hard to find. Volcano Dawn of the Gods is another one of those tapes that I've struggled to shell out money for. Harvest of Kairos, look, again, it's rubbish, but you can. it's it's the horns of Nymon of Blake 7. If you just want to sit there and laugh at some people badly overacting, laugh at Jarvik. Laugh at laugh at Jarvik. Laugh at Laugh at that old dude that she's got advising her. The problem with Harvest of Kairos over the whole canon was that Avon is not Avon. Yeah, absolutely. So no, and and the story suddenly shifts to Terence, the one they're all concerned about. Yeah, yeah, it makes no sense in overall continuity. Moloch. Moloch has good stuff. You want to sing the song? No. No. I, th- I thought you. So, were, I thought you. How I reasoned you with uh, No, I thought you were going to do the um, <laughs> women. Oh, oh, they were always my problem. Oh, you like them, do you? No. <laughs> so, anything like Ben Steed. All right. So, in the grand tradition of uh, forty-two to Doomsday, where we start at the end and finish with the beginning, let's um, talk about season one and two. Well, is it season or series? They call them series A, B, C, and D. So let's talk about series A and B. Confusing. <laughs> <laughs> which I suppose is the pure distillation of nations' vision. Vision, I suppose, especially in as series filtered, A, as filtered through Chris Boucher. As filtered through Chris Boucher, as you say. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about season one and two, and perhaps you know the the, the concept of the arc and, and all that sort of thing. What, one early observation I'll make, and this comes back to my very first comments. When I was an early teenager and watched season one, I thought it was a little bit dull, a little bit dry, and loved season two. As I've got older, my love for season two has not diminished at all. We all get old, but dry my, and older. But my, my enjoyment of season, season one, one has got, has got a lot, yeah. lot better. There's a lot of really good stuff in there that I think I, I didn't appreciate when I was there, there is. I mean, I, I guess you could make the point, probably when you get towards the end, you start to see perhaps Terry Nation running out of ideas as we get later into the... Uh, that was minute thirty-seven. Yeah. Space form. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, I mean, there is that, there, there is that story where you know he, he went home and he said to his wife, 
I've just been commissioned to write a, a you know the, the new big BBC science fiction series, and I stupidly committed to write every single episode of the first season. And you're right, the, the, the latter half does sag. Deliverance isn't bad, but it does drag. Um, you've got Blake in an exciting adventure with the Space Arabs, which is a terrible episode. Well, let's not think that, you know, I mean, Terry's, you know, seen some wonderful ideas, like Jewel. Yes. Which is just Star Trek. It literally is. It, it, it is. It, it is. It is, it is, it is the arena. It's Star arena, Trek. yes. So, you know, we just cross out the word Kirk and we brought Blake and Gorn, and we wrote, wrote Travis. Travis that's right. <laughs> you know. um, but but the only episode that Douglas Canfield directs. Ah, uh, but he twisted. He twisted by allowing each of them to bring a companion down with them. Yes. <laughs> yes, but but that, I think I'm right in saying that's the only episode that Douglas Canfield directs, yeah, and yes, I'm it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully shot. Um, the model works terrific, and then the stuff down on the planet is really well done, especially those hand-to-hand fight scenes. Is Blair. Sorry. Mm, is Yes, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, there's some very good stuff in there. I like Project Avalon. I like Seek, Locate, Destroy. Mm. Oh, look, honestly, all the Travis episodes are fairly good. Even Orac. Yeah, well... Or, Orac's the weakest, weakest of them, but it's not It bad. probably is the, the weakest of them, but from what they got there and the fact that Stephen Grief wasn't in half of it. So. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. I mean, you look at a story like Deliverance, and I mean, the, the Travis and Serverland scenes are probably the best thing in it. So. Yes, Absolutely. I mean, look, again, you can, you can have a bit of... Fun. Well, I mean, you can have a bit of fun with Avon the God, but... <laughs> Even Cygnus Alpha is one that... Look, there's still some weak stuff in Cygnus Alpha. Brian Blessed actually isn't terrible. I will return that. to them. Oh, oh God! God! <laughs> um, he gets some good stuff in there. Like, Blessed does get some good stuff the, in there. The stuff where he's talking about Blake and he's looking at the, 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 uh, the teleport bracelets, bracelets. Yes. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite good. Um, and, and again, you know, you buy into that society that's been created on Cygnus Alpha, and I, I've, I've, I've come to enjoy that. Time Squad is the weakest of those opening four. Yes. Um, and again, that's more with the um, the, the creatures on the... The pod. The pod thing. Yes. Yeah. The, the, what are, the Guardians, I think they are. Oh, whatever they're called. The whatever, the whatever they're called. Yes, that's quite weak. And, and Gan the Sex Fiend. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's an important <laughs> subtext we need to get to. <laughs> Um, no, it wasn't that he was a sex scene. He touched my woman, and so I killed him. Gan is it? But this comes back to what we spoke about earlier. Gan's an interesting character in that he was so dull. He was. Clearly, <laughs> he Gan was, was there. <laughs> he was clearly being sent in a very um, dark direction that they then pull back from quite quickly. Well, although I, I think I don't know that was. In, I mean, it may have been intentional on Terry Nation's part. I don't think it was intentional on the, on the rest of the production team. Though, I mean, I think they've agreed the subtext is there. Yeah, and given what we know about other stuff Terry Nation has written, particularly Survivors, you, you can, you know, it, it's quite reasonable to assume that Terry Nation put that subtext yes. in. Um, but they do pull away from that. And, and as per that discussion we had the other day that we decided that the, the bloke on uh, the bloke on the London uh, Nova, well... Well, he's clearly not violent enough to be some sort of, you know, psychotic murderer. He's clearly not smart enough to be a big white-collar criminal. Um, so... That's pro- what, what, what other pervert is about what's <laughs> left. He's, he's clearly not a big, you know, political dissenter. No. So the only capital crime left for him to be sent to Cygnus <laughs> Alpha, probably it was it's some sort of perversion. Yes, yeah. but that's okay. He um he got shaving creamed to death fairly quickly, and um for those who don't know, he's actually the second Varden from the right in Invasion of Time. Yes, he is. And he's equally bad in that. <laughs> <laughs> 
acting was tin foily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he he he's acting in like like there are actors that are weak but actually aren't that bad, and we're quite critical of them, perhaps unfairly. He is Rosie a Williams. <laughs> he he is a he is a bad actor. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you do wonder um, whether he was originally meant to be part of the cast, and they saw really how bad he was, and, and then decided to kill him. What, what would have? How different would have Blake Seven been had Arco got on board the Liberator? Well, he was meant to. I mean, not necessarily Peter Childs, but yeah. I mean, because Avon I mean, oh, originally they, they, was Blake yeah. and Seven, and Avon was a minor character. Yes. Um, so it was yeah he could have been the because um, he was yeah because he was supposed to be the because he wanted to take over the crew and, and disappear yeah. into the ether not fight the federation. What, yes. what do we think of uh, Breakdown? Um, now one thing that actually struck me about Breakdown Mr. is Mr. Islebler. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. One thing that struck me about Breakdown is even allowing for the, the them going through the swirly thing. Um, it's the, still, the, giant, the, the giant swirlies for the in space. Yes, yes. The swirly thing. Swirly thing alert. Um, <laughs> it, it, it still takes them 150 hours to get to the space station. So Gan is actually lying there with his arms up like this for nearly a week. <laughs> well, no wonder he's pissed when they let him go. That's right. But, and this comes back to the point, the Gan you see there when presumably his limiter is now completely cut out. Cut out. He's actually incredibly creepy. Yeah, he is. And so if that's the real Gan. I don't know if it is the real Gan. I think there's a short circuit there that's probably sending it that but way. But he's really quite calculating and yeah. everything because he it's is. not even just blind rage. I mean, he yeah. is really quite calculating. Because you get that, you get the blind the rage spikes. when the limiter is you get the blind rage when the limiter is obviously sending him those bursts. But it's kind of, I always took the implication that by the time Cato lets him out and he sort of almost tries to rape her, mm. that that's the limiter has now come out and you're seeing the real Gan. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean... Maybe, maybe that's it, but they certainly, you know, what, so it's not just a limiter, it, it, it t- changes his whole personality to being dull. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> 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 well, I mean, he does actually, I mean, you do see him kill in the Tin Cygnus Alpha when they're having that fight. I mean, he actually rams, the spear, he rams the spear into that guy. It shouldn't have happened. Well, Based I, on the fact that you know, I can't do that. I can't I can, kill I can, people. I can't kill people. I can't threaten. Hen- them. Hence the fan theory that the limit is more about being a sexual and controlling his sexual urges than than he's, he's willing to kill. Yeah. No. But but, but he he, but he gives him a that, slightly nicer that, that, That's the, the fault in I, th- I think the, the setup and what they've, they've mm. done to change it part way through. But this is Terry saying, "No, this is what I want," type of thing, and Chris just going, "Yes, sir." Whatever you want, sir. But now we're a few episodes in. But now we're a few episodes in. Well, I suppose the thing, I mean, you also have that set up in the first season where Zen will only help them so much and then he just suddenly decides, I can't be bothered. You know, I don't want to help you anymore. anymore. But then they sort of just, that just falls by the wayside as well. Uh, Yeah, but there's the reasoning behind that was the reprogramming by ORAC and Redemption. So after Redemption, you don't see... That is true, actually. You don't see Zen refusing anything. No, true. So certainly in the first season, so there's still some control because they couldn't get into the, the, the nuts and bolts of the Liberator because mm. it was so easily taken over in Redemption. Um, but yeah, once they had Orac, then Orac goes nuts for Shadow. So, so if they had Orac and he could control anything, why didn't they just rock up to Star One Point Orac at it? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. 
So. And, and that's it. Or, or I couldn't tell them that, actually, I can't read a computer down inside that base well, that you're about well, to spend. Being the Tariel cell, so with ORAC, you can read Tariel cells and they gather information. Yes. It doesn't change or do anything either. But all the records of Star One weren't kept on computers. Mm. So mm, that's that is why. True. So it, could, it couldn't just... Uh, read it where it was or any other information or pressure point because it was all either handwritten or we just killed in, in somebody in a brain print in, a, in an amulet uh, the, lift up probably arguably the worst it. episode of season two the, the, arguably the only clunker of season two yes as viewers watching black seven for the first time the concept of having a main character regardless of what you think about the character and the performance dying what did that do for you as a viewer and how does that m- make you view the series with its willingness to off a character. I, I, I can honestly say I don't I don't remember I don't remember it at the time. I mean look I must have seen it. I don't remember it making a huge impression on me at the time. So certainly when I watched them back uh, and I knew Gan was gone, but I mean certainly when I watched them back um, I, I mean look I guess it's one of those things that look it's it, it's willing to kill somebody so it's a little bit dangerous mm. um, in that sort of thing that B5 was quite happy to, to offer character occasionally just to you know keep you in the thing that oh, look, this is actually a bit of a dangerous situation yeah, the, the main character may not get out of this yeah in the way that in Doctor Who they do they invariably will and if you're Stephen Moffat they, they always, always will I'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, kill them and I'll just find a way to change it later on so I, I guess from that point of view um, I, it's sort of hard because I mean the, the, I guess once you know the episodes I mean you know Gan is very much the fifth wheel so probably you know killing him doesn't make a huge difference to the dynamic probably of, of the crew no but what I think the, the big advantage is not so well it, it's twofold in Pressure Point which I think is a very good episode it does actually bring that episode to a very it's big well conclusion. It's well done. It's got some horrendous plot holes in it. it, it look, it does. But but if, if you're going for the big, what we now call the mid-season finale... Yes, true, indeed. It, it does actually bring that big, that, that mini-arc um, to a big conclusion and then kicks off the next mini-arc, the second half of season two. But it also, unlike other series where, you know, I mean, you look at Next Gen, um, Tasha Yard dies in season one and... A couple, apart from a couple of references to her bonking data later on, there's actually no real mention of her again for years. Whereas in Blake 7, I mean, the next episode is Trial, and that's all about how the crew deals with it, how Blake deals with the guilt. Um, Avon gently needles him about <laughs> that guilt, you know. You know, go on, maybe they'll listen to you. Why not? I don't get them killed. Um, <laughs> and, and if anything, it perhaps steals Blake's determination you know, he's now got people dying for him. And he now recommits to the cause. Yeah, so right. it actually does have a tangible effect on what, again, we would now call the arc. Well, that brings us to um, the, the discussion about uh, the influence of, of Black Seven with its arc, whether it was loose or tight or whatever you want to put it, and its influence on, on writers like uh, Straczynski and Joss Whedon. Uh, do we have anything to say about... Um, the, the concept of the story arc and all that sort of thing. Well, it's interesting. I mean, they've both acknowledged Blake Seven in discussions, in interviews, what they've done. Uh, Whedon himself lived in Britain and grew up in Doctor Who and Blake Seven, and so everyone's there. Straczynski, less sure other than the fact that when he finally uh, wrote all of season three because he wanted it done, 
it was mentioned to him that that had only been accomplished once before by Kerry Nation that wrote Blake Seven. I don't know if he actually had a a link back as a as a source. No, I'm sure I'm sure he has acknowledged that he he was building on what Blake Seven did in Babylon Five. In, the, in that idea of individual episodes that had a serial oh, format. there was parts of it. But yeah. yeah, I think, but the, yeah, he's more proud of the fact that he wrote, you know, 48 episodes. And he, he, so. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but it's, it's actually true. He, he has stated very publicly that he knows he beat the record and he knows it was Terry Nations and that means something to him. Yeah. So, um, but I, th- I think it was something else. Again, the, the arc in Blake 7 is so loose and fluid in what it is um, other than you, you, you made your points of getting the team together in the first four episodes. So basically it's a movie, like 200 minutes to get mm. everybody on board the liberator of what's going to go forward from that. Uh, but but just... you do see, you know, in the Travis episode, for example, you do see them build on each other. And yes, you can watch Project Avalon alone, but if you watch Project Avalon having seen Jewel Tra- and Secret Tra- Tra- Travis definitely you, you has get an arc. more out of it. Travis definitely has an arc through both series. Yeah. Yeah. Blake 7 is a, a fairly loose arc even across those two seasons. It is. You're right. I mean, there, there's stuff where the, the, you know, they just suddenly decide they're going to attack Central Control on Earth when there hasn't been mentioned really at any... The only, only mention has been... I know there's a mention in Weapon where Kelly says at some point Blake is going to want to go attack Central yeah. Control. Yeah. And, and that's why we're going into this highly dangerous weapons testing zone. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the second half, I think, it's definitely there because you go from him failing to find Control, he's then actively looking for it, he then finds um, oh, Provine, who leads him to Dockley, who leads him to... Lurgan. Lurgan. No, Lurgan. Um, um, yeah, the, the dude Lurgan leaves the print with. Yeah, which leads them to Star One. Star One is the location of Star One is at grid reference C one seven three two zero in the eleventh sector. You, you've watched that. Far I was just going to say you've watched them more than once, haven't you, <laughs> um, Richard? You've got um, some thoughts on the general timeline of the show. As we were alluding to a little earlier, one, one of probably some of the, the more interesting things of Black Seven is being able to fill in the gaps, yeah. I, I guess. I mean, you, you can argue that the first... I mean, I don't think we're not going to go through every single episode, obviously, but, I mean, the first half of season one really is, is you know, getting the band together. Yeah. Um, and then there's their first couple of strikes on Federation targets. And, I mean, Blake is giving the orders I'm going here at the end of each episode, so those are reasonably linear. Up, up until about Jewel, where there's obviously um, stuff in between. Well, I mean, there's, I suppose after Cyclocate Destroy, there's a, a manhunt, obviously, for Blake, which pushes him out into the, the furthest, mm. not into another galaxy, but into the furthest reaches of our galaxy, or wherever Jewel takes place. There's clearly a, an untelevised encounter, at least, with Travis, or a couple prior to Creative Avalon. Uh, yes, well, <laughs> that's the thing, and there is... Well, there is actually, if you read that, there is actually a thing Big Finish have said that there's a gap for all these novels here yeah. between these two episodes. But there's obviously an un, at least one untelevised encounter with Travis prior to Project Avalon because there's a bit where he says he's had two chances yeah. to destroy the Liberator. He, at that point, is, 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 is suspended and then he's clearly still suspended at the time of deliverance because he's just hanging around Serverland's office. Well, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, there's probably not a huge amount of time maybe in the latter part of Season 1 lost. Travis, in his arc, that's obviously the point. Deliverance is the point where he clearly crosses the line from, I'm, you know, I'm obsessed with Blake to, well, but I'm still a military man to, Blake is all that matters to me now, because he's quite happy, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's <laughs> concerned about selling that other dude out, but... Yeah. But, no, Blake's more important. So, there's... I guess you can also make the point, 
uh, and I said I wasn't going to go hugely in depth, but you, you can, there, there's clearly a fair bit of time lost around the first half of season two. Well, you've got direct follow-on from Morak to Redemption. To Redemption, but there's so, clearly a break while they're beside the Cosa Nostra, or the, the Terra Nostra is whatever yes. they want to get into. Yes, and the Horizon, because they've gone um, into the edge again. There is, and uh, I mean, there's a there's whatever the hell they, they're setting up the, the plan in weapon. Yes. Um, well, and then all of the clone building took months. Yeah, and then from there. Plus, plus Travis has, again, um, had, had his facelift. Yeah, Blake's <laughs> anyway. obviously been planning the stuff with... Um, yeah, Kasabi. Um, but see, I mean, time. I guess there's the thing is in Horizon, they're also terribly stressed. They've got headaches and back pains, and, and yeah. they're living off bloody stimulants and whatever. So uh, then there's also so that you would think they would want to go away and sort themselves out before they attempt invading Earth. Plus, there's the thing in in Pressure Point where Blake says, and it's a little ambiguous because he says for the last year he's been compiling information on control and with Orax help. So. You can either read that as it's a year since they got ORAC, or he's been compiling information and ORAC has now really helped him. And it might be that, because when you go further into it, of course, when you get to Voice from the Past, yeah. and you've got Glind, who's meant to be the judge from the first episode, yep. and changed sides, it's two month, two years since you tried. Yeah. So mm. it's not... That, that's true. So, um, you know, the, we, we, that's um, probably the big continuity jump that they've ever yeah, had to, to have um, that I, cemented there. It's certainly, I think, very deliberately said that this is taking place over a long period of time. It's For them, it's not an adventure of the week. No. Uh, I mean, there's clearly a bit of time between pressure point and trial because they've got to aid Dick Travis and Serverland out and then she's got to set up his show trial. So... There's clearly maybe a couple, a few weeks, yeah. I would think. There's obviously, there. but you don't get that from Blake's point of view. Oh, you might. There might be a bit of time, but because he's actually gone exploring to find this planet slash creature to land yeah. on, and uh, that. But and he's still feeling very raw and, and guilty, and guilty of it. So you, you feel that that's pretty much mm. within a week. Yeah, you know. But, but so the Travis timeline, it can't. It can't be. But there's obviously a huge gap between Star 1 and Aftermath. There's a decent gap. I mean, a whole war takes place in there. there, there and then a, you have the Federation Civil War But then again, place. they say the war didn't last that long. No. I, I think, I mean, I, I think there is a massive gap between that and Volcano. Oh, yeah, yeah that's a big really, really um, yes. And, and I suppose you've also got, I mean, if you're going to just jumping back to the later part of Season 2, I mean, there, there's obviously, and, and I guess if you want to have the quick discussion, what, what the hell the deal with Travis and the aliens is, because... That doesn't make a lot of sense, really. Well, that happened. Yeah. Well, from if he's if he's left from the keeper with the location of Star One, which is effectively what mm. he did, uh, he would have had to have set up the aliens from there because there was no because. But how did he know who to speak to the before then? But then again, what the hell has the Liberator been doing in the intervening time? Because. They don't get there yeah. until the ba- aliens have well and truly infiltrated the base and, and started. Yeah, I, I, I could buy in that Travis was looking for it as well, and that's why he goes after. Oh, see, that's the thing. I mean, so he may have made contact with the aliens before and gone, "Look, I might be able to get this for you." Or, or he, he already knows where it is, and it's purely and simply he's just doing it to stop anybody else finding it. Yeah, it could be because um, I mean, he, he clearly leaves. It is clearly his plan in the keeper to grab it and go. Yes. So he obviously he has been doing stuff before the keeper. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you if you go now into I suppose the expanded Blake Seven universe, you have got the radio play Warship, which happens straight after Star One. Yes, uh, yes. So big, uh, big finishes there to fill in the gaps for everyone, basically. God bless. Yeah. As, as always, as, as always. always. I think season three, I, I think, would be the longest uh, series timeline wise. I think that that takes place over a very long period of time. Yes, because you've got the intergalactic war followed by the galactic war. 
um, whatever happens. Because, I mean, they're, they're clearly it disintegrates into, you know, warring factions and balkanisation and Serverland desperately trying to, you know, regain her power base. And, and then she gets the stuff in Moloch. Yeah, and, well, see, and, and the, yeah, because the guy in Moloch makes the point, you must be desperate. You've come all the way across the galaxy on the vague promise that I might have something for you. Yeah, but clearly when she's got the um, replicators from... Yes. Not Sados, um... But, but then again, the there's obviously something happens between then and Terminal because she's sort of locked herself away on Terminal. I mean, you could assume she perhaps only arrives when she gets the message to Liberators en route here. You know, we've finally got Avon in our trap and he's actually bringing the Liberator to us and that's when she comes down there. But that's clearly been going on for a little while. Well, Avon's been following a trail for... A long, yeah. you know, weeks, yeah. not months, and and in in Death Watch, she's very clearly now the undisputed president. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. so there was a lot of stuff happening in the background there. And speaking of theories, yes. plugging gaps and more theories, Dave, you have a, a theory about something to do with middle class, the middle class. Yes, is the answer. I know Richard, when we've had early discussions, made comments about how, why things work, and one example is why the Federation bothers to send high-profile prisoners to Cygnus Alpha rather than just kill them. And I think the Blake 7 universe works best if you assume that there is their version of an educated middle class somewhere on Earth and around the Federation that, that is looking at what the administration does and needs to have the pretense that they're not that bad. So there needs to be this... The, the Federation needs to put up this pretense for sort of the more... Not the elites, but the next one down, you know, the, the public service type people, the academics, that, you know, oh, you know, we're quite a gentle... Or, you know, robust civilization, a fatherly dictatorship. So, okay, we've got these high-profile criminals. You know, we've got this big bank fraud guy. We've got this big smuggler. We've got this ex-rebel child molester. Um, you know, big, big, big name criminals. We're going to show how generous we are as a society and ship them off to life imprisonment well, rather than execute them. And well, that said it all in the first episode. The alphas. It was Roger Blake, and you had he goes, and I, I'm. You, know, you had your beaters and you had your yeah. deltas, and, and clearly the alphas and the beaters needed to be kept. And, and this is when you know when um when Nida comes in to have a go at Serverland. Sorry, Ron, Ron, Secretary Rontaine comes in to have a go at Serverland and Cyclocate Destroy. There is clearly political pressure, and if there isn't some sort of agitated middle class that can put political pressure on the administration, then that whole but, but concept that is is, sort of is goes redundant. Against, in some ways, that goes against your idea of having this totally drug-addled population. Well, I assume that it's like Sunmakers, where the top levels aren't drug addled. But that's the thing. I mean, it's rather than because, I guess, because if you think that they're loaded up on... Because, I mean, it, it's a, the, the inference is that they're, they're doped up to the eyeballs and they're just, you know, suppressed, if you like. Which makes that piling 50 thing near the end of the series a bit stupid, because they're already doing it on Earth. So... Well, they we're doing it on Earth. Yes. The, the piling 50 now, is meant to be see, the next... Well, that's the thing. See, I'd always sort of read it again. It's more like the Sunmakers that it's an anxiety inducer, you know, that makes them compliant and more, yeah, but they're right. still productive. Yes, that's right. I, th I think that is right. But I would suggest that the upper echelons are, are not on well, They're taking the pills. Yeah, well, that, well, that's right. As I said, like in Sunmakers. You, 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 yeah. you, you, so you, you have got that because otherwise, because they consistently say all the way through the Blake is, you know, rumours of Blake are coming out. People are starting to wonder. People are questioning what we're doing. Yes. So there needs to be a class of people that that works on. I was yeah. going to say, but I guess you could ship them out because, I mean, we know that they practice slavery, they turn people into mutoids and, and crumos and do whatever. So And that they actually make the point in Spacefall that they've heard that these 
ships don't actually go to Cygnus Alpha. Mm. They go part of the sure, way there, and they either dump rooms. them in space or they take them to the real destination. But if you if you draw the parallel to Nazi Germany, I think it's a reasonable parallel to draw given that Terry Nation himself draws it throughout all his work. The Nazi regime in the 30s in Germany existed with a lot of basically good middle-class people knowing that maybe something not very good is going on over there somewhere where they can't yeah. see it, yeah. but they can live that, you know, what we're seeing isn't that bad. The, the Federation must have worked in a similar sort of way. Just to backtrack slightly, there's your timeline. It was a four-month trip to Cygnus Alpha from Earth. No, it was a nine-month trip to Cygnus Alpha. Eight months, yeah. Eight or nine. Eight 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 eight. 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 So, so we're looking at, they got there in eight months, and they were probably being followed for... Well, but that's the thing. I mean, I guess if you want to talk about inconsistency, I mean, they're clearly only on the Liberator for a day at most at, at the start of Yeah, so the, the, the time frames in Spaceful don't the, work. Yeah. No, they, uh, well, it depends. They, I mean, they, they don't work any... It depends, doesn't work. it depends on what you think that button does that no, they press on. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work any more than the time frame in Empire Strikes Back doesn't work at all. But I think the inference there in Empire, just digressing, is I, I think the idea is that time clearly... I mean, it doesn't appear that on screen. I mean, time clearly passes, I think, in both stories. Storylines. It not, clearly takes them a while to get to Lando, and and meanwhile, Luke but it's, is, it's not is, so much that Luke can't get there himself in a day. Uh, no, no, sorry, Empire. I love Empire. It's the best Star Wars movie, but the timeline doesn't work. And I love Spaceball as well, but the timeline. No, the timeline work. doesn't work. I mean, look, I don't know. Maybe there is actually a forced labour camp on on Cygnus Alpha. And, you know, Brian Blessed just runs the after hours stuff. But, um, <laughs> Um, you know, he, he's sort of like the yeah. He, he just runs the you know the nighttime activities. It's it, the disco. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the inference, and, and there is that thing. You know, why take them all that way? And, and as I say, I think it's got to be it's because you, Australia. It, it, it's got to be because the Federation wants to appear the, the pretense, the pretense that they are decent. That's right. And, and I think that that adds an extra depth to the the, the society. Plus, plus, it gives Reagan more time to molest Jenna. That's right. Well, let's very briefly touch on. Uh, merchandise and possibly what Big Finish is doing. If anyone has any thoughts on the quality of the merchandise, I don't think there's ever been much very good merchandise at all, which is um, really sad. There there's been is, some good books. There, there is, look, I, I, being a bit of a model kit and whatever aficionado, there were some quite good model kits. Mo, um, Comet put out a, um, it's a bitch of a kit to build, but they put out a very nice Liberator kit. Um, which is now quite sought after, and I, I actually had two of them, and I sold them both, and I'm kicking myself. Um, we can yeah. do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, plus, there was some very good stuff. There, the, the, if, you, if you're into cosplay type stuff, dressing you know, up. There, there is. Well, I was going to say there were some very nice teleport props. There was a clip gun, the season four, the Scorpio gun, um, and a Scorpio teleport bracelet. Some of the prop makers involved were happy, actually, as commission pieces, to make. Stuff like that. Uh, Martin uh, Bauer yes. um, was 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 making some of his props, like the bracelets and the Liberator guns. It was I, I had a um, I had a, a fan made Liberator gun prop, which was quite nice. Um, Still got it? No, I sold that. Um, I sold that as well. I had a bit of a clean out. It sat in a box. Look, it was a really nice thing to have, and it worked and everything but oh, did it kill people kill you? yes it was last, <laughs> last people with it worked um, it lit up and I, I you could buy a sound chip for it which I, I didn't purchase but um, no I sort of I had, went through a phase where uh, it was just sitting in a box and it had at, sat there for at, ages at some point you to have Tom Baker in the back of your head going but what's it for that's that's the thing it was a really nice thing to have but yeah um, it, yes. it uh, actually went to shame so it's sitting in a box of chains, as everything does. Um, uh, 
they're the fandom repository. <laughs> so some of that stuff is quite good. There's, um, if you're into metal miniatures, there is a very nice range of not Blake 7 miniatures being done at the moment, um, if you're into that sort of thing. Sounds and like I, one of those terrible adult films. <laughs> it's not Blake 7. Yeah, Blake 7 parody. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles parody oh, stuff. Uh, um, should, should, we, should we mention Afterlife? Well, oh. we, can, we can get into the books, but I guess in terms of, of toys, I mean, there's not a huge amount of Black Sabbath. No, there was, there was the Corgi model, which mm. you've got the single white Liberator, or there was the, 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 the grey one, which was in conjunction with the Space Shuttle. Double pack. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, there's a nice book on the Black Sabbath merchandise and stuff. Although it doesn't have the Image Bond badges in it. Well, Image Bond was an Australian yes, fan yes. that did um, basically sheets of plastic. You made logos of TV shows and that. And uh, it was very popular here in Australia back in the 80s. Um, I've still got some of mine. Did Cracker Business at Worldcon in 1985 and just thought, oh, this is all right. And went off to the Worldcon the next year and didn't sell one. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which is why she went out of business for that. She just says, no, I'm going to do it. That's disappointing because I must admit, I'd be interested in that because I've still got some of mine. Yeah. Um, and there were two Black Seven ones. There was uh, the logo and the Liberator. Yes. Well, I've still got the logo one. Yeah. Um, um, I've still got some of the Doctor Who ones. So that was just, yeah, local Erica, her name was. Um, can't remember if it said that. Uh, but yeah, she used to be at the Novel Science Fiction Club and everything else. Um, there's yeah, a couple of badges, I think, floated yeah. around. You could get the monthly, which is basically season four centric. Uh, you had the transfers and the uh, posters that came out of it, like some poster magazine. That's right. You had the annuals. Yes. So the three hmm. biggies. There was a 78, 79, and 80, 80 I think. Um, annual for that. Uh, then you had the three novelizations, followed up by yes. Afterlife by Tony Atwood. That, oh, yes, um, it was a nice attempt. It, it had a look. No, it had it some wasn't. interesting. It had a couple of interesting ideas. It, in, it, it did have some work itself was rubbish. So yeah. Tarrant lived just so he could be killed off. Yes, and Villa lived and survived through. And you're yeah. working with. Blake's sister, yeah, Avon's sister. Avon's sister. Avon's sister. Yeah, look, it had some interesting ideas in it, but the story was rubbish. It was absolutely terrible. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, and and I'm actually, I mean, I know he had a sequel to that planned. Yes, but it was shocking. Yes, and and it's probably very well it never came out. Um, Paul Darrow, of course, wrote uh, Avon: A Terrible Aspect, which yes. is a terrible novel. It, it actually, I must admit, and look, most of all, we love Paul Darrow. Um, you would actually be forgiven reading a from a terrible aspect that he's never actually watched the series. Yes. It's, it's a bit like Barry Letts writing those uh, those two oh, radio yeah. plays. Yeah. Well, you had the radio plays that came out in the 90s? 90s? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. 90s. We, we, we bagged him in the Christmas episode. Yeah. So, yeah, um, so, you know, there was a lot. And then you could get things like uh, the postcards and the photos that were... Uh, big things back in the eighties was that uh, a shop was selling photos that they'd license photos out of the BBC. You get Doctor Who and Blake Seven ones out of yeah. that, and right. all of those as packs. But um, is it fair to say the best merchandise has been the fan produced stuff? Like books like Liberate Liberation is a really good there, book. There isn't though. Liberation is is probably the best of the books I've read about the series. That's I mean, it's power. It's it's <laughs> more. Uh, I mean, it's more an analysis book than a than a straight program guide. Well, actually, having said that, I mean, the, the, old, the old program guide actually was quite good for the time because it was yeah, the only yeah, well, yeah, book, the time, yes. reference book there for a long time. Also by Tony Atwood, and he did a better job on that than he did with Although it's, it's very obvious he's working in a lot of cases from the production notes 
rather than the TV show. Again, a lot, a lot of his analysis and his episode guides are directly out of what was written for the Blake Seven Monthly. Okay. So you know, it, it was like I'm just gonna. He might have written those. Who knows? Yeah. But. Yeah, it was but identical to th- that. There isn't time. a. Uh, it's surprised me. There isn't actually a. And, and look, maybe people like Andrew Pixley and Richard Molesworth and, and other writers simply aren't Black Seven fans or no. I would have thought. Of, I mean, look, somebody like Telos surely would, would have picked it up if, if someone wrote one. Well, a really in depth, like, production guide oh. um, to the series. I mean, there's. Yes, yeah, so I know the Mule book. Is that actually any good? I've never read The Marshall it. one. There's oh, that one. Yeah. As well as there's the mule one. Once again, it's, it is more about the bits and pieces, not not in-depth like Pixley would go into. No, and that's the thing. There's no... I mean, David A. McKinty was supposed to be writing one. Oh, okay. But I've actually did a bit of follow-up. I've sort of been following it, and he hasn't mentioned it for a long time, and the publisher who initially put the press release out hasn't released a book for about two years, so I'm assuming that's fallen by the wayside. And then you only had your... Uh, the Schiller Wells and Joe Zara one, and then you've got the, uh, the Adrian Rivalsford or Rigglesford. So, is there any particular reason why the merchandise is it just because the series is only on TV for four years and it's that's just it? It wasn't, I mean, there were supposedly games and jigsaws and all of that sort of stuff, but mm. not a lot of it got out there. And, um, and never, I've never seen any of them out here, uh, yeah, um, never got out here in any way okay. at all. And, and probably the lack of repeats as well. I mean, you know, yeah. who, who has been repeated fairly yeah, well, regularly? A lot of things world. got licensed, and then it was, you know, yeah. sort of like coming, you know, by the time they're licensing in series three, because then they changed it, you know, the, the whole flow of the series uh, of who you're going to put on the cover. You're going to put Blake there? Well, Blake's not in it anymore. It's Avon, and, you know, it's going to be this, and it's going to be something else. Um, so a lot of it died. No. They did, and I mean, the magazine sort of went for, again, about a year after the series ran, but they even said at the end, well, look, we don't think Blake Seven's coming back, and so. This is it. Well, no one was buying the magazine because it wasn't coming back. There was nothing to write about because as soon as they did the analysis of the old episodes, that's it. You, yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of material. It's, it's, it. it's worth mentioning, though, I think, that the show was meant to continue after Series 4. It was actually meant to end at the end of Series 3 and got renewed for another season. Mm, yeah. And they didn't mean to write it, which is ironic because I will put Blake as the last episode up against any other series finale. Oh, for sure. It is yeah. a brilliant ending to the series. Absolutely brilliant. It was good, you know, when you had the model shot of the Scorpio crashing through the model of the trees, um, that was beautifully done. It really it was. And, and it's like the Zenon base model of the Scorpio rising up. Yes. So that model work that was uh, filmed and put into those, you know, when you look at the rest of series four you know and you've got literally a photo of the back of the scorpio going you know this far background <laughs> wibbly wobbly uh it's hard to yeah you know see the same thing but Blake, blake's, then, blake's an amazing episode though it is it, it is a superb episode um but other than that then you go into literally you've got the big finish novelized novels not novelizations but novels uh, original novels set across the years and you've got warship as a standalone a uh, story that's set straight after Star One. It's got Blake in it, so it's about mm-hmm. and uh, Sally. So the genesis uh, goes on how they got out of the Liberator. And yeah, away I've, I've listened. I've listened to that one. It's it, it's interesting. Yeah, uh, I don't mind it. Um, but there's an issue with all of the, the, those later um, trying to fit into 
continuity. It's that they use a lot of modern things. You've got your nanites and you've got your drones mm. and things that did not exist in our universe in 1977 to extrapolate from. Yeah. But it's all there. Um, so And also I find that stuff like that is just trying to fill gaps that I just don't need filling. Yeah. Fan wank. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. It's a little bit. Um, what do we think of the Caldor City releases? Um, I haven't they, actually listened to I, them. I, I bought them as they came out and they were quite good. And they are very good. And, and you, you can... If you wish to, if believe, you squint a bit, you yeah. can fit them into the Black Seven universe. Yes, if, or, or if, you can choose not to. Yeah, if you if you want to believe that Castaniago is Avon on the run, yes, you, you can do that, mm. and, it, and it fits. Um, well, well, certainly, um, Carnelli's definitely yes. from Black Seven. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean, that but that, that was a good example. They were good stories in their own right, so they stood alone. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, a lot of big finish stands on the shoulders of the other stuff yeah. and doesn't, I think, always capture the, the, yeah, the line. With the season three ones, I think, to get around the fact just that Simon won't do it is, is they've sort of sent Dana off on a mission. To study graphology. <laughs> <laughs> Warship was interesting in the fact that they got everybody back from season two. Um, yeah. That was there at Star One. And I found that really hard to get through because at that stage, they didn't sound like them. Mm. No. no. I, I listened to the thing. Okay, was that... Gareth, or was that Paul speaking? So, what was the character? And you couldn't get there. But when they went into the the six parters uh, set in between um, season two, so it was yep. done around the killer hostage stage, and then the series three, six episodes, and they got Tom Chapman in to do That's it. That's right, he's the only member of the crew. Yeah. Del, uh, Del Tarrant Del, is now. Uh, uh, Del Grant. Sorry. Del Grant. He is yes. now a member of the crew. Of the crew, because okay. Dana's found something and sworn Aurac to secrecy and gone off to do something. Uh, so they've got... They've got they've, I, I they've got to go. Simon won't sign with us. Yeah. But, and actually, having said that, no, she has done other big Finnish audios, hasn't she? She's done she's I done a couple know. of others, but she I think she's just not interested in doing the Blake. Wasn't thing. Angela yeah. Bruce available? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd hope. But, uh, so they try and follow her through the path so they have a new adventure on a planet and it's in sort of a six-episode contained universe between a couple of episodes. And when they finally get her back, she was unconscious, so she could wake up next episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and again, they, they go down this path and they use modern... Um, idiom. Idiom to uh, fit, you know, or retro-fit... So is it, like, is it like Barry Lance calling them fed rats and whatever? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's all that silliness. <laughs> and I... I, I th- believe you know the, the I don't believe I know the, the seven novels that have been released from Big Finish are much the same you know you, when you've got um, you, you're fitting in the last one that came out was one called Mediasphere by uh, Kate Orman and John Bloom John Bloom and it, it really it, it's like bringing in the world of reality TV yeah. Uh, into the Blake Seven universe, which you know, all those nineteen eighty sensibilities, where you didn't have yeah. that sort of thing, and you're giving them all this technology that just it doesn't fit with your idea of what it looks like. It in sounds your head. like Paradise of Death. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, where that, that, same. that was out of sorts. I mean, listening to it because I talk about VR and also. Yeah. If you look at most of the computer systems, they're all because it's before the software revolution, so it's, it's all solid state circuitry. Yes. Yes. If anyone wants to reprogram his end, he goes and physically changes yes, the circuitry. Pull, pulls the circuit boards out and, like, yeah, he solders it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this, this to me kind of reaffirms that the, the, 
Black Seven is a show that works because all the stars aligned. You got Terry Nation, Chris Boucher, Gareth Thomas, Paul Darrow. You know, um, the, the 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 right um, special effects people, the right model, but everybody just hit the yeah. ground running, and it just worked. The, the right cast, the right writers, it all just worked together. And it's very hard to get the stars to align like that again 30 years later. Yeah. You can't rehear a souffle. No. And I don't always know why we want to try. I mean, not, not, I, think, I think novels work well because you can but, but recapture that. You've just undermined Big Finish's entire business model. <laughs> and that's fine. Look, if it, if it works... We right. do that a lot. No, no. <laughs> I'm not saying that... Maybe you. they could add strax. Oh, yeah. I'm not that saying happens, that it's... Smacks <laughs> on the liberator. Right of Jago. Yeah, he is. Yeah. No, I'm into Blake 7. Maybe they could just... Well, I mean, let's face it, they wanted to do the... The, the Blake, Daleks. Well, no, well, yes, the, Terry wanted the Daleks and they wanted that scene where the Doctor walks past Blake in the corridor. Morning, Blake. Yeah, hi, yeah. Blake. Hi, Doctor. And, and, yeah. I'm not saying that b- what Big Finish is doing is invalid. It's just not for me. Oh, fair enough. That's a very politic way of putting it. Whereas then you've got the other um, audio adventures they had, which was the single... The ones. recast ones? Well, well, no, they had the recast ones, but they also had... Uh, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you're thinking yeah. the, the B7 Enterprises ones. The, which was an interesting listen, uh, where they just... Um, instead of Cali, they had uh, a Federation officer. That That's actually right. Yeah, the it, was, it was a reimagining, wasn't it? It was a total reimagining. It was, wasn't it? These ones were better average, right? Yes. Yes, okay. We right, should yeah. talk about them for a minute, actually. Perhaps some of the so, and stuff, but... Nah, nah. No. One final point that I did want to mention is uh, Blake Seven is almost unique in terms of the older shows that I have on my shelf in that there have been a number of people going right back to high school where they've said they like this show or that show. I said, look, mate, you might be interested in this show called Blake Seven. Um, yes, it's for, for the 70s, it's quite dated, but I think you'll appreciate it. And every single time I've lent it to people, they've come back after the first few episodes and gone, give me more, I want to see this, and watched it the whole way through. And it was kind of funny when I made a post on Facebook the other week when Gareth Thomas died, suddenly all these people I'd forgotten I'd lent the series to were sort of coming, oh, that's that series, I really enjoyed that, it was really good. So um, more than Who, more than Trek, this is a show that I've given to people who have over the years of different ages, just really appreciated, and I do think it stands the test yeah, of time. It's re-released on DVD here in Australia. Well, there you oh, go. Yeah. Oh, that, I'll line up next month or so, I think it's coming out. Really? Okay. Let's almost wrap it up by asking your top two or three episodes, if possible. Jeez. That, or maybe just your top episode. I mean, uh, aside from Blake, perhaps. Well, I've I've got a three, so I'll start one. Yeah, you can start because I, I know you. I know you've got a fairly defined three or four, haven't you? Yeah. Well, well, my my top three, Rumors of Death, is absolutely number one, and I've got Trial at number two and Orbit at number three. No room for Blake. Uh, Blake Blake would be in the you top five. Blake. You <laughs> said yes, except for Blake. my podcast. I'll ask me a question. <laughs> uh, Blake would Blake would be in the top five. I actually mark Blake down a bit because it's very hard to pull Blake out and watch. You, you really need to... It's such an intense episode. You've got to really want to watch it to watch it. Okay. Like, you can't just pull it out casually and watch Blake. Um, whereas these other three, I think you can. And I, I remember, Richard, one time we put on Rumours of Death when we were waiting, um, killing some time, and we just sat there utterly engrossed in that. The, mm. r- the writing in that is just brilliant. Mm. It, it, is, it is great. So that, that's my favourite. Series two? Series th- so that's series three, oh, um, trial series two, and all about series four. Richard, um, leaving Blake aside, 
And we may touch very quickly on Blake at the end of this because it, it, is, a pivotal, it, it, it is some pivotal episode. In some ways, it probably depends on what sort of mood I'm in. Because if if I just want to be entertained and and watch some stuff with some great quotes in it, I'll probably go for Trial. That's got some really excellent little scenes in it. I'm very very fond of Space Four. If I was picking a couple from each season, probably I mean the way back because it sets everything up, and probably Space Four would be my probably my two from Series One. Um, if I had to pick a third. Maybe probably be a toss up between Project Avalon, perhaps some Duel, maybe. I'm a big fan of Mission um, to Destiny. Yeah, as a standalone. But anyway, it's your pick. Yeah, um, yeah. Trial probably from uh, season two. I'm I'm also quite fond of, of Countdown. Um, that's yeah. sort of almost template like seven, I, I think, in a way. And that, and that is that, that is some of Terry Nation's best. Um, and I actually think look, Star One is a, is a quite a, a, a gripping end to the to the season. Season three, it's, it's sort of a bit hard because you've sort of got to pick the nuggets out of the uh, <laughs> <laughs> out of the dross. Look, I mean, you can chuck on again, as we said, you can chuck on something like Harvest of Kairos just just to have a bit of a laugh, and or, or woman, you, you are, are beautiful. beautiful, or or city on the edge of uh, yes, city on the edge of, of Colin. <laughs> Look, in, in defence of that, just just quickly, Colin in that isn't actually that bad. He is quite good. I mean, the, no, he's the, brilliant in that. Um, the the bloke playing his well, actually, it's a guy who plays Bloodaxe from. Um, <laughs> it is. It it's is. The guy who plays Bloodaxe yes, from Time Warrior. Um, he is very clearly written as the, the sort of the, the, the dickhead sidekick. The the Brotterdack. Yes. The Strax uh, almost. Yeah, and and plays it as such. That, again, that's a bit of fun. Uh, you, oh, you, that's, can, that's, you can that's you can have a lot of fun with that. Um, I mean, you're right. The Groomers of Death is a, is a great episode. Um, I'm actually. I mean, I really like Terminal. Um, again, look, it's got some holes in it, but I think Terminal's quite a good episode. Um, and from season four, it's kind of hard to go past Blake, to be honest. From season four, I actually really like Rescue. I think that's quite a strong episode, despite the sea devil. <laughs> <laughs> and look, if I have to pick another one, let's pick. Um, well, I asked for two and three. You've given me about fifteen. Well, <laughs> I was picking a couple from each season, but uh, I'd either go probably games or or. But perhaps there you go. There's nothing there I'd argue against. No. Tom? I'm a big fan of Seaglocate Destroy. Big fan Inclu- of Star- Including the robot? Yeah, including the robot. Do like Star 1. Uh, I think that has to be mm. pretty much the pick of Season 2 because it mm. just brings everything to it. Uh, season 3, it is Rumors of Death. That's, that's probably the best episode. And if not Blake, I would say Rescue is probably the best episode in Season 4. Okay. Mark, these guys have stolen my thunder, so I might just switch it uh, around and say, uh, "I'll give you my worst ones." Go on, then. Uh, the, I know, I know. The keeper is a bit of a turd. Yeah. Um, a bit. I'm being generous <laughs> here, <laughs> and Star Drive and animals are probably the worst the as well. As, uh, heck, can you know the stuff. Of all the gods. <laughs> Sorry, God. <laughs> Bruce Purchase is probably rolling around his grave. <laughs> Ultra World is a bit of a turd too. They're the four worst ones I like, out of a 52 episode run. Animals. And uh, I've finished yeah, animals as well. Okay. I, 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 would, I would trade out Keeper for Bounty. No. Hostage. The web. No, I like oh, the, web. the web. Hostage, hostage, well, has, has, little, hostage has the cool space battle at yeah. the start. The Oompa Loompas with skin allergies. Yeah, but it's got all the other shit in it too. Like the word, the word. Switch on the bracelet. The word. You can tell like killer. You can tell we've watched these far too many times. Well, if you're going to ask me, I've only watched. Yes, what about you, Rob? Well, in the last couple of years, I've only really watched 29 episodes. I was just doing a quick count out of 52. Yep, and it was a long time ago. So I would say Blake because that was the VHS that I sought out to buy. 
because I just wanted to say it. Yeah, it is really striking, and it's typical of a British TV series or a dystopian fantasy that, that they would basically it. kill everyone, and you can really enjoy enjoy it, frankly, for the the downer that it is. Um, uh, Star One. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, I have stronger memories of that, so I'll go with that, and probably the, the very first episode because it sets it mostly all up. Um, mm. and it's probably nation. And it's got Jeremy Wilkin in it. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Professor Kelman. Yes. All right. Well, let's go with that. <laughs> the guy that piloted Sky. No, that was yeah. Peter Carl. And it was on Sky. Uh, and, and, the submarine. And, uh, UFO. And, and he was the voice of um, Virgil. Virgil in season two. Sorry. Yes. You clearly too much. Well, no, he does. You know. A transporter accident, I think. See you, will you? <laughs> Both killed instantly. Now, Very tragic. <laughs> I'll ask the final serious question, then we'll ask Richard one final question. Yes. Why should someone who's never seen the series today watch Blake 7? I will say because if you enjoy stuff like Babylon 5, Battlestar Galactica, and even modern Doctor Who, I think you will see the roots of all of them in the character arcs and the plot arcs of Blake 7. It's very rudimentary, but you can see the seeds of modern TV in it. Ricardo. What he said. No, it's... Uh, look, it's a very strong series. Just look past the visuals. The, the story and the characters are, are absolutely top-notch. And, and I think it still stands up today. And, but, but you said in the visuals, the Liberator still stands up, in my view. Some of, look, some of the model shots... The one thing the BBC does well, when the model shots are good, the model stuff is fantastic. Um, even something like The Invisible Enemy, of going back to Who, um, if you watch that stuff at the start when they've got the Titan base mm. and the shuttle coming, that is magnificent. I mean, it mm. sort of falls to bits a bit later, but <laughs> the visuals are... Sorry, I mean, the Liberator is a striking design. Yes. Um, as, as, even as even if most people did have it initially going the other way. As is the flight deck. Yes, yes. and the again, the flight deck is a, is a very striking design. Tom? I think it's just very well written. So if people want to get into it, it's, you're entertained by it. It's just that simple. You, you can sit down, you can watch an episode, you can watch one, two, you know, follow the arc or not. It's just good. In essence, then, as we are finding uh, these days in the Netflix generation of TV, it's strong writing and strong characterisation that should bring people to Black 7. Would that be right? Executed by the right actors. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Mark? All of the above plus Avon, he the man. I think when Blake left, I wasn't that no, he left, but I think it was got, the other way around. Because that's the thing, you've yeah. got a, a, the, probably the strongest character is still in, is still on the ship. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it's hard because look, it, you sort of sometimes feel perhaps for the other actors because they're clearly, I mean, a lot of the writers, clearly they want to write for, for Avon. They're not as interested in writing for some of the other characters. No, but the thing you've got to realise, Mark, is that when Star One is gone, it is finished, Blake. And I, <laughs> I want, want it finished. finished. I, I want, want it over, over and done, done with. I want, want to be free. But you are free now, Avon. I, I want, want to be free of him. him. I never realised. You really do hate me, don't you? <laughs> and, um, uh, Richard. <laughs> yes. You, um, you embarked on a marathon the likes of which, uh, is still spoken of with awe and fear today. <laughs> Especially by a sofa. Can you explain to us sofa, but yes. why the f*** <laughs> you thought it was necessary to watch the entirety of Black 7 over a weekend? Because it was there. <laughs> no, um, I, look, I, I can't actually tell you what 
made us. It wasn't just me. There was actually a, a, a smallish group of us. Um, Lunatics. Put put it, put it in context. What year was this roughly? Uh, would have been. Well, it was just. It was shortly after the last tape was the last of the the first lot of unedited tapes was released. So it would have been. We're talking ninety three probably. Um, somewhere around there. It was a long weekend, and there there were. I think there there were there were, there were five of us who started. Um, only four of us made it to the end. Um, <laughs> and the other person passed away. No, the there was actually. We had one who on Sunday night. Um, just sort of did the we did the how much more is this and we said well there's a whole other season he's just like no that's I, I can't do this anymore I want I, I can't um, and, and look we were sort of it was almost a bit like having sort of Stockholm syndrome a bit by the end were look, you I, punchy I, at the end were punch drunk or no look, I suppose I had the benefit for me personally I mean I had the benefit of, of having seen them all so I could sort of drift in and out probably as I, as I wanted to but I, I don't I don't quite remember at what point it seemed like a great idea when we were, we were discussing it. Because, um, and look, it is a pretty major undertaking because it's, 40, it's 45 hours of television or something if, if you lay each episode end to end. Um, and we really only did it because we, we watched, it was over a long weekend, and we watched, I think we watched about the first half of season one on the Friday night before launching into probably on Monday. The, the Monday was pretty much just all season four. I think we watched Terminal and basically all of season four across Monday. So we were going to really late Monday night. It was an experience. It was real. It was. It's not something I, I don't think I'd ever do again with any TV series. I, I don't think. And it was sort of hard because, uh, I mean, I'd seen it and one of the other blokes I was with, I, I think, had sort of watched it, probably not to the same level I had, but... And as I said, I, I could sort of drift in and out pretty much as I wanted, as I needed to. There were a couple of guys there who I don't think had ever seen it. And I think by the end of uh, just 40 something out of just, I mean, look, we had breaks and we slept and whatever, but we were pretty much watching, I think, you know, Saturday and Sunday, we watched something like 16 or 17 episodes on each of those two days. So This story well, comes with a health warning, basically. Well, it does. And I mean, you know, I mean, you watched, well, as I said, we watched the first half of season one on, on Friday night. And I think we didn't finish season one until sort of, you know, Saturday afternoon. So we were sort of going, you know, season two was sort of, the hours were ticking away on Saturday. We were sort of, you know, not making much headway into season two. The things fans do. Yeah, and and I do think the, the couple of guys who'd never ever seen it, well, one of them was one of the ones who just like, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> but seriously, he got, to, he got to Sunday night and we, he sort of said, because we didn't quite finish season three, I think, we, I think we got up to, I think we got to Death Watch, I think, um, on the... On the Sunday night, and and he he basically said, well, how much more of this is there? And and we said, well, you know, there's another fourteen episodes or something. You know, that, that that pile of tapes there is the ones we haven't watched yet. And he was like, no, that's it. I'm out. I can't. I can't do this. I'm anymore. done. You guys are fucking mad. I can't do this. Um, did you did you cut the weak one from your circle? Of yeah, that's right. Hey, we were sort of like, yeah, you know, you're dead to me. Yeah, that's right. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. <laughs> For those of you who are still true believers, we can push on tomorrow, but. Yeah, it was um, it, it was an experience, and it's not one I'd recommend to. Uh, I mean, that's sort of the ultimate binge watch, really. Yes. Um, and, fifty-two and episodes. Fifty-two. Forty-five episodes. hours. Yeah, it's it's forty it's forty-five hours and, and forty-five and a half hours or something of of, of televisual content. Um, it breaks down to so, and, and we were getting to the point near the end where we weren't even, you know because we were having breaks while we were rewinding tapes and stuff, and we were talking about the episodes. Come Monday afternoon, uh, it was just really tape out, next tape in, let's go. Basically the Blake 7 death match, really. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, it was like, you know, you, you, if you need to go for a leak, you go while the credits are running, basically. Here's an empty bottle. Because we're, we're not stopping. Because we just want to get this done. 
So yeah, um, but as a as a you know three and a half day thing spent with like minded people, sort of in a sea of pizza and and uh, whatever. Look, it was great. Lovely. We'll be doing the same thing when Phil Morris releases his hoard. <laughs> all, 50, all 52 episodes. Phil Morris all is once. dead to me. He's dead to me. You are, you're very welcome here. <laughs> Imagine that, though. What? Phil Morris releasing his hoard or watching... We'll come around, though. It'll be great. We'll, do, we'll watch Doctor Who Season 5 end to end. <laughs> we'll be all of that. We'll, we'll watch the Trouting Years from start to finish. Minus one season of the Daleks. All right. So that was um, Blake 7. So that's it for our chat about Blake 7. Uh, once again, thank you very much to Dave for hosting us. Much appreciated. Thank you, Dave. Next episode, we're back to normal transmission, talking about Doctor Who so you don't have to. In the meantime, I've been Mark. I've been Rob. Tom. I've been Richard. I've been Dave. Keep punching!
sold us, Blake. All of us. Even you. Is, Is that true? Have you betrayed us? Have, Have you betrayed, betrayed me? Tarrant doesn't understand. Yeah. Neither do I, Blake. I set all this up. Yes. yes. Avon, I was waiting for you. <laughs> no, the final the final word in Blake 7 is actually Tarrant, and he goes, Avon! Just yes. before he's shot. That, that's the last line in Blake 7. Got like carrot juice, carrot juice, carrot juice. Oh, God.